Good morning, everybody. Matt Hopper here with episode 24 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. It has been 24 weeks since we went live, and that is almost half a year. I can't believe we've been doing this for almost six months now. It's pretty pretty rad. So thank you guys, all of you, for tuning in, whether this is your first episode or if you've, if you've been with us this whole time. We really, really appreciate it. Um, I know there's quite a good bit of you here that are part of our Facebook group, which is, uh, you can find us at www.facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants. Um, if you are in that group, then you're very, very familiar with the kind of interaction and conversation that goes on there. If you're not in the group yet, we would love for you to join us there. You can ask questions to the guests that are coming on each week. You can communicate with the guests directly when they sign on. Uh, you can ask both myself, uh, Jordan or Justin, any questions you have, you can communicate with the other members of the group. A lot of great conversation, a lot of people helping each other out and sharing their experiences. Uh, just an amazing vibe. And um, we're about a thousand members now. And um, it's not big enough and it's not small enough to where, you know, there's, uh, how do I say this? Uh, you know, it's it's still meaningful. And I hope it stays that way, I guess, is, is the point I'm trying to make. It's very, very meaningful. It's a great group of people. Everybody's really, really uh, um, just helpful. I guess that's the best way to put it. So if, uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, please head over to our group, facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants. Check out the conversations, give us a join, and uh, you'll be the first to know when our podcasts are coming out and who they're with each week. Um, I would also love to ask all of you guys a favor. If you're like me and you consume most of your content on your phone, then we would all be grateful if you would open up your podcast app, search for chocolate croissants. Once you find us, click the subscribe button in the top right of your phone screen. And then you'll get all of our episodes downloaded to your phone each Monday when they come out and you won't even have to think about it. Um, also, ratings and, um, and any kind of reviews are always amazing, you know, especially if you like the podcast. Um, so if you have a second to give us a rating or to write us a review, we'd really appreciate it. We've seen some amazing ones come through that we are eternally grateful for. So thank you to those of you who have taken the time to do that. We, um, we genuinely appreciate it. I'd also like to take a second and thank our good friends over at Rode Microphones. Rode continue to support us each week, and the products are the reason why you are hearing my voice right now, as I always say, coming into your ear hole. Um, hopefully that was not meant as a literal thing. I meant that as a pun. Oh my God, that was terrible. Anyway, um, you can learn more about Rode's products, including their podcast microphones, um, their recording microphones for music, uh, and even their broadcast microphones at rodemic.com, or you can visit them at their socials at Roadmike. Okay, now on to episode 24. Our guest this week is my very, very good friend, Mr. Finn McKenty of the URM Academy and Nail the Mix. Uh, Finn is one of my dearest friends, one of my business partners, and easily one of the most brilliant people I've ever had the privilege to know. Uh, he built the music and audio channel over at Creative Live. Prior to that, he worked for Abercrombie & Fitch, Procter & Gamble. Um, he's an avid writer on his blog, The Punk Rock MBA. Um, and you know, we've worked together on a whole bunch of products. He helped me develop pitches for Band Happy when we were looking to sell the company. Um, he is currently the brilliant marketing mind behind Get Good Drums and companies like Horizon Devices. And just in general, he's one of the most straightforward, no bullshit, genuine dudes out there. And I love talking to him pretty much on a daily basis. We were always on the phone or we're texting each other and working together. So it's a privilege to, to learn from him, to hear his insights and to, uh, to strategize on all the things that we do together. So 
In this episode, we discuss everything from building a brand to dealing with anxiety, lack of motivation, and overall happiness, life hacks in this uh, in this episode. So if you'd like to learn about any of those topics, then I would actually recommend for this one that you grab a notepad and a pen because you're going to want to take some notes. Tune in closely, okay? So without further ado, this is going to be episode 24 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast featuring Finn McKenty. I'm out of here. Enjoy. Hey, guys. Matt here with Jordan and Justin and our guest this week, Mr. Finn McKenty from uh, the URM. Well, actually, Finn, you're now with Nail the Mix, not URM, excuse me. Although you're running, it looks like the socials for URM, right? Well, let me let me explain. So URM is the parent company um, that uh, offers a few products, one of which kind of our, our flagship product is Nail the Mix, which is our subscription service where you sign up, and then every month you get the sessions from, uh, you know, a, a well-known album. For example, we did one with Nolly. Um, or this month we have Meshuga, so you get the, the session from uh, that album, and then at the end of the month, the person who mixed it will do a live streaming session where they show you how they did it. So, so Nail the Mix is our main product. We have another one called URM Enhanced, which gives you access to some additional tutorials and, like, one-on-one Skype sessions with Joey, Joel, and Al, and some other stuff. We also have like one-off courses, I think, called Speed Mixing, which is this kind of high-end course that like teaches people how to get like ridiculously fast. Like Joel could mix a song in like three hours. Um, and so, yeah, URM is the parent company. We have a bunch of different products under that. The most well-known of which is Nail Mix. Got it. Got it. And this is, I mean, this is a new thing for you. Um, you know, we're coming off now, I think what your second week or yeah, your second week working with nail the mix coming from, from creative live. Um, and you know, it's, it's really interesting because I've obviously been aware of the platform that nail the mix is for a long time. It's a music education platform. You know, the, the guys that run it, Joey and Joel and AL have been doing a great job with it over the years. How are you feeling so far with this transition? And are you, are you happy with the move that you've made at this point? Oh man, I'm thrilled. Uh, nothing, you know, I have nothing but positive things to say about creative live too, but, um, it's just, I've known all these guys for years and worked together with them in various different capacities. For example, um, AL, for, for anyone who's not familiar, Creative Live was my previous job. I did influencer marketing there and some other stuff for them. Uh, Creative Live is what we call it the world's largest and best uh, online education platform for creative professionals. So uh, the, their biggest, it produces video education. Uh, the biggest market there would be like photographers and graphic designers. I started the audio channel there where we did music production stuff with People like Joey and Nolly and Kurt Ballou from Converge and uh, Ben from Dillinger Escape Plan and, you know, a bunch of other folks. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's how we met initially. Yeah. Was you, yeah. You know, yes, I remember exactly. I remember when Periphery, that's right. yeah. Yeah, Periphery was playing where Studio 7 in Seattle, mm-hmm. um, you came out. And we hopped in your car and we made out and then we talked about, um, we talked about, you know, getting me on board to do a class with creative live. And that ended up becoming eventually my working musician playbook class. That's right. That we did together. And, you know, if I recall, that was still pretty early on within the first year or two that you were running, um, the, the music and audio channel for creative live. Isn't that right? Yeah, you know, I don't remember the exact date because, you know, it's like 
life is a blur, but it was fairly early on, yeah. This was an awesome class. Um, you did an incredible job, and I still like point people to that one all the time because I think it's probably the best collection of information. Like, if you want to be somebody like you who is a you know a, a, a musician that makes a, a nice living, does cool shit, like I can't really think of a better uh, a better set of information on how to do that. This is Jordan here, Matt. I was on that with you for a segment, and I think that's probably the first time you and I actually collaborated in some way. Yeah, we did. We did a brief chat. Was it? It was like later in, or was it for extra content? I can't recall. I don't know. I remember Kevin, the drummer, had downloaded or you know purchased it, and he showed me at one of our lessons. But it was my involvement was more of how to monetize you know drumming or music skills in other ways besides performing or recording and teaching. Right. That's right. Which you've which you've done pretty magnificently with Beatwell. Um, yeah, I mean that, that, that class was a lot of fun. It's, it's interesting though, looking back now, you know, the, the music industry has evolved so much even since that point. And my experience has continued to grow even since that point. So when I watch certain parts of that, a lot of it is very, very, very much, you know, credible and, and most of it is very credible, but there's certain things in there, um, that, I would love to like update. So I don't know if there's ever a chance to do that. And, and Finn, obviously you're not back, you know, you're not at creative live now, but um, if there's ever a chance to do that, I might reach out to the the people over there and see if there's like, you know, a part two slash like, um, you know, update that I can do to some of the information. So I don't know. We'll see what happens, but yeah. And then Finn, so since then, you know, since you and I first did that initial class, then we worked together with Nolly, on the Studio Pass class, which has been, I think, one of the better selling classes on Creative Live, and rightfully so. I mean, Nolly is a wealth of information for recording. You've obviously had him now on Nail the Mix, and he's done a great job there, too. So, I mean, bottom line is you you were able to build a channel there that really, I think, exceeded you know anyone's and forgive me, this I mean this in a good way, anyone's expectations at Creative Live, because I remember you telling me that you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, it wasn't as, as f- let's say funded or as popular as something like the photography channel or yeah. the business channel, but you managed to really like, you know, build that thing up into something much, much bigger than I think anyone ever really expected. And I mean that, like I said, in a, in a really good way, uh, would you, well, would, do, me, do you view it that way too? Kind of. Um, so let me back up and maybe explain something. Some people listening to this may know this. Other people may not. But it's an important thing to think about um, in general. There's a, a, a term that I, I used to do much work for Procter & Gamble who uh, make giant, massive consumer brands like Tide and Febreze and Swiffer and Balance and all that stuff, which I worked on. Um, and they have a term there called size of prize, which basically is their term for like if we do a really good job of executing this thing, like how much money will we make? Um, and I don't know what their kind of minimum size of prizes now, but the time I was working there, roughly speaking, if it wasn't going to make them $250 million a year, it was just basically not worth their time. Uh, and so it's important to think about, and, and, and size of prize, what the, the cutoff for what the minimum size of prize is is going to vary for every business you know if it's for an individual making a hundred thousand dollars a year off something would probably be pretty awesome although there's some people you know mark cuban would be like nah i'm good you know 100 grand a year don't waste my time 
Um, for a small business, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand a year is good. Um, and then for a venture scale business like Creative Live, which has raised about $60 million to date. So, you know, you do the math, you figure the company is worth a couple hundred million dollars. For Creative Live, um, you know, something like a new channel is, is probably not going to move the needle if it's only making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. A couple million dollars a year starts to get interesting, and then you know, ten million a year or something like that would probably be. I mean, I'm I'm. This is all unofficial. I don't work there anymore, so I'm speaking. This is only my own, you know, speculation. But somewhere in the you know, high seven to low eight figure range is probably what they are looking for. So when you're talking about things like music. Not too many things in music make that kind of money. So to get back to what you're saying, and this is something that I, I think other people listening to this might want to think about is like make sure that when you're pitching something like this, that the 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 size like think about size of prize before you before you pitch something because what might be exciting to you may not necessarily be exciting to other people involved. And even if you're successful, it might be looked at as a failure. So in other words, if I was to you know make Fifty thousand dollars in revenue a year off, um, you know, the music channel or something that would definitely be a failure. Um, even though if it was an individual, that would be a success. So to get back to your question, um, without you know disclosing any information that I shouldn't, uh, I am very proud of the success of that channel. Um, I think we did an awesome job of executing it. Whether that um, you know is a home run in terms of what a venture scale business is looking for is uh, perhaps another conversation. <clears throat> sure. That makes sense. So that, that's a very long answer, but uh, I want, uh, I, I want to answer, I, I, w- I want to give answers here that may be more generally applicable to people listening to this. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's great. And I guess that's what I was saying. I mean, like I know you very much so view it as a success and so do I. Um, yeah, but always, I always told them from day one, Hey, whoa, don't think this is going to be a $10 million thing. Cause it's not. And, and many of them are like, Oh, I think this can be big. And I'm like, uh, you might want to reconsider that. <laughs> well, and that, that's you uh, so being it's kind of, it was kind of, no, it's not me being like, I mean, you've been involved with this stuff. No, no, no. What, 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 what I was saying was, I think that's you being very realistic. I, I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. knocking it. I was, I was actually supporting, supporting you there. I think, yeah. I think that's very realistic because as you said, there's very few, few things in music that can generate that kind of revenue. And when you're talking about music education, you and I both know very well that there is a very small niche within this music niche of, of consumers and music fans that are really interested in this. And it just so happens yeah. that it all falls, for the most part, within this sort of heavier music genre, which is yep. not a large-scale portion of the music business. It's a, smaller, it's a smaller corner of it. And when you and I were working together even on the band happy stuff, um, when we were talking about reaching out to some bigger artists like, you know, in the EDM world and, and, and getting outside of this small, small niche within a niche, you know, we found it to be very, very tough because, you know, uh, and I won't say which artist it was, but, you know, I reached out to a a very, very, very famous EDM artist and his response was, eh, I'm not really at that point in my career where I need to do education to make money. 
And I've got enough money and fans. I'm good. <laughs> right. It's, exactly. So it, it's really tough to like get that winning formula of not only do you have consumers that are interested in in this kind of stuff, but also the right kind of artists who either truly understands the need for education, no matter where they are in their career, or someone who actually kind of has this combination of, I understand it, but I also need to make money. So yes, I'm down to put in the work. And, you know, I've talked about this before, but like, that was the bane of my existence with something like Band Happy. And I, and I know in talking to you, it was a pain in the ass with the music and audio channel because there's a very few, very select group of artists that really get it and that are willing to go yeah. out there on a limb and share this information without it just simply being about the bottom line. And that was a big challenge for us both. So I, I don't... Uh, I don't want to dig too deep down this hole, but my question for you is once you did transfer sort of your, your focus from the music and audio channel to the, the bigger picture stuff you were doing, um, at creative live, was that a little bit easier for you to feel like you were more in control? Like it is for me now, not really working so much with other artists and trying to get them to educate. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Uh, I would say that the, the stuff I ended up doing after I did the music and audio channel at Creative Live was working with our CEO and founder, Chase, on uh, all the content that he does. So if, you're, if you guys are familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, Chase is kind of in that same sphere. They're friends and you know kind of travel in the same circles. So Chase has a podcast uh, and a couple of YouTube shows. So some of the people who had on podcast were like, you know, we had Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington, uh, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. Um, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Well, we had Gary on, Tim Ferriss, Ramit Sethi, like, I mean, you name it, a bunch of these, you know, quote unquote influencers. And it's kind of the same challenge with those people as it is um, with with musicians, it's a little bit different because asking somebody to sit down for an hour podcast is, is a much smaller ask than it is, um, you know, asking them to teach a a class that's, you know, one to three days long. Um, but still, you know, if you're talking about somebody like the founder of LinkedIn, who's also one of the most successful investors of all time and a billionaire, we had also one of the co-founders of Airbnb on who's a billionaire as well asking them for two hours of their time is still a pretty fucking big ask. So you still kind of have to do the same calculus of like, how do I, um, you know, how, how, how do I position this thing such that this person who doesn't need the money, um, you know, wants to do it. And I think in a way that comes down to the communication and marketing skills that it seems like you've developed over your lifetime, Finn, um, well, what I, I, I didn't, I didn't talk Rick Hoffman into anything. That was Chase, who's okay. like a Jedi master of persuasion. So, uh, yeah, but it's, you're, you're totally right. That's what it comes down to is like, I mean, his emotional intelligence and charisma is just off the fucking charts. He can talk anybody into anything. Uh, Matt is pretty damn good at that too. So he could probably explain more about how to do that than I can. Right. But you know, the point being that someone like Chase obviously had enough, you know, trust and put enough value in you to be part of that process, um, to your credit. And what I'm curious about Finn, you know, I've, I really started to get to know you and your point of view and content through Matt earlier this year. And, uh, 
you know, I know you have the punk rock MBA and that's where I've seen you most active in my life. Um, so maybe you want to touch on that with the audience who's unfamiliar, but even going back further than that, I think it's really cool how you have this specialty of, you know, branding and marketing and communications, but, uh, but also this culture of music and specifically heavier music. And I think that really helps you stand out within uh, you know, a certain population or community. Um, and I'm curious as to how you first, you know, came into both of these different fields, both of music and of marketing, um, and how you figured out a way to put it all together. Sure. Um, well, I, I grew up kind of into, I guess, primarily like hardcore and punk and, and metal also. I, I was really into like the, the, I liked the sound of metal, but not the culture, if that makes sense. You know, anybody who's familiar with these things will understand that, like, hardcore and punk has a very different culture than metal, especially back, you know, in the, like, 90s uh, when I was getting into this stuff. Um, so I was always into that just kind of, you know, for probably all the same reasons a lot of people listening to this are, because I was weird and angry and whatever. Um, and so... I was also just always really into making stuff. I'm just the sort of person like, you know, I, I was an only child and we didn't have any money or a TV or any of that stuff. So I just kind of had to like amuse myself with what I had. And so I've always been into making things. My mom had a funny story about me when I was two or three. I don't remember this, but woke her up and like, you know, at 3 a.m. or something like all groggy. And I said, want something to do, put hands. <laughs> So just always into like making stuff. And so uh, I started making like fanzines back in the day out of like my parents' basement um, and uh, ended up selling, you know, a few thousand of these things all over the world through the mail. Um, you know, if anybody's familiar with like there's it's still around, there's a magazine called Maximum Rock and Roll that back in the day was kind of the like uh, centerpiece of like the global like punk community. And so there's like classified ads and all this stuff in there. And so. I would just, you know, in the same way as you might DM people on Instagram now, I would send people letters, you know, and just through the mail, like sold a few thousand of these things by the time I was 18 or 19, um, all over the world. And, um, so that was kind of my, I didn't really think of that as like an entrepreneurial venture, but I guess it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, and, and, and just from being around so long, I just know so many people, um, you know, kind of from that culture and, and hardcore is an interesting thing in that, um, uh, uh, a, a person that, uh, some of us, uh, know Mike Mowry put it well years ago. He, he said behind every operation, every good operation, there's a hardcore kid. And that's kind of true. Like almost every business that has anything to do with like creativity, like there's somebody involved with it that comes from like the DIY hardcore scene. And I don't know why that is, but it, it's true. And so I realized that later on in my career, like now that, you know, I'm 39 now and I realized this a few years ago, but like people like me or like, you know, Ryan Clark from Demon Hunter or Ryan Downey or, you know, Mike Mowry, any of these people like that are doing cool shit now. Um, and, and not, not just, not just in like the music or entertainment space, but, um, I don't know, like, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head cause because I can't, but you know, it's just like almost without except. Well, okay, so I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch doing marketing for four years, and so you were the hardcore kid there. No, they're probably seventy-five percent of the designers there were hardcore kids. Wow. Like, 
the first day on the well, the person who got me the job is a guy I know through being into like really obscure, like gross gore grind and death metal. Um, and uh, then, like the first day on the job, I sit down next to this guy who I'd never met before that was listening to Bulldoze, which is this like really like ignorant like beat down hardcore band, you know, and like everybody there, like the person who interviewed me, I was talking to him about Poison Idea and Suicidal Tendencies, you know, it's like, I was like, okay, I, I, I see I'm not the, like when I was younger, I felt like I was the odd man out, but now I see that once I'm older, there's a lot of people like me and like you guys who, you know, grew up uh, into like weird music, um, but as we grew up, like we, we didn't necessarily leave that behind, but we branched down into other things. And so that is what made me kind of get the idea for the punk rock MBA, which is, I was like, man, I, I want people to understand that this is a thing and I want to document the stuff that people are doing or like, you know, so for example, a friend of mine who played in this hardcore band called judge is like a, you know, uh, an attorney now, like an entertainment attorney or Justin Brandon from indecision, uh, is a politician in New York, like pretty successful. And I, I, I he just won some, I don't know. He just got some new position. I don't know what it is, but um, there's just all these people doing cool shit, um, and I want to document that, like, so that the younger generation understands that that is a pathway for them. Because I didn't understand that. And apologies that I'm going on too long here, but um, one of the things that I realized is that um, when we're talking about, like, think back to like high school or even younger, you know, junior high, whatever, I, I think you can kind of divide the, the kids into three groups. There's, like, the troubled kids who, you know, obviously have problems and need help. And then there's, like, the really high achievers, the honor student AP kids that are going to get groomed to go to elite universities and stuff. Both of them get a lot of attention, different kinds of attention, but they both get a lot of attention. But then there's a bunch of kids in the middle who don't get very much attention. And we all just kind of go, I don't know, I guess they're fine, whatever. Like they're just sort of ignored. And in particular, I think there's a lot of people who were probably the, probably like us and our friends and the people we hung out with who could go one way or the other. Like they're smart kids who maybe, you know, have a little bit of dysfunction or something in their background. And if they get nudged this way, they'll turn into like fuck ups. If they get nudged that way, they can become really like happy, successful, high achievers. And so I would, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend that I can like save a million lives or something, but I would like to like do what I can to nudge some people in in that direction towards being happy and successful and stuff. And a lot of that, I think, is just um, showing them that it's possible because. I didn't really know that when I was younger. Nobody told me, like, hey, did you know that you have the following options? Um, and so that's that's what I hope to do. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, man, it's really cool. And I think all three of us here can relate to it. Uh, so for context, Justin and I have played in bands together, uh, you know, for, for a long time. And when we were 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, I was able to then realize that through this band, it would be an amazing education in, you know, creating a brand and marketing and monetizing a brand and just running a business and learning how to be a booking agent and publicist. And these are things I've talked about in previous episodes, yeah. but you know, I've done a lot of college and it was really being in those bands where I feel like I got the best college experience that's allowed me to then 
take those skills into other fields. And I think the, just the branding of punk rock MBA uh, pretty much encompasses what I've realized and become aware of, of uh, how I've been able to develop this, this skill set that's allowed me to be successful in ways that you know, feel good to me. So I think it's really cool that you're actually leading community and, and letting others know who are naturally attracted to being a musician and, and sharing their music with the world that, uh, that their natural passion and their natural inclination to share that with the world comes with uh, all these skills that need to be developed and then can help set a foundation to be successful long term in life. I think it's really amazing, man. Well, tell me, I'd be interested to know your thoughts um, since you said you've, you've done a lot of higher education um, mm-hmm. and, you know, you said that a lot of the stuff you did with music was, you know, in some ways maybe a better education, but you've obviously stuck with the higher education for a reason. Uh, and I know there's kind of a, a bias in our community, I think, among a lot of people to, like, disregard higher education. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you think it's valuable? So my higher education was for specific skills and to get a specific license. So I'm a licensed psychotherapist in Maryland. Uh, So, I mean, in order to be that, just like in order to be a lawyer or a doctor, you need, you know, certain degrees uh, to practice. And but to be honest and quite frank, uh, choosing that major and graduate program was a safer option for me because I didn't really have vision or confidence for anything else in my life at that time. Now, when I first started, I found legitimate ways to connect music and drumming with, you know, counseling and, and therapy. And then things started to open up and or I felt like I was being myself again in the program. Uh, but never once did we talk about the business of psychology and never once did we talk about the marketing of a psychotherapy practice. And that was in many ways where I kind of stepped up and was starting to introduce these concepts because everyone else who was paying all this money and investing time in the program, they were interested and they wanted that content, but they weren't getting it. And I think in many ways, that's where uh, education currently fails a lot of students. It doesn't seem like it's kept up with a 2017 world of what's relevant in how to apply the knowledge and skills learned in a program to the real world of supporting oneself. Yeah, it seems like that's a common blind spot in almost all educational programs is that they really don't tell you how to make any money off this shit, and that's a pretty important part. It's awful, and I've debated with professors uh, about, well, maybe it's because the people in charge want to stay in charge, you know, or maybe, uh, I don't know, you know, that that it could be a very, like, pessimistic view of it, um, or maybe just the, the education with a capital E is so fossilized and stuck and big that significant change will just be difficult, if not impossible. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's probably a little bit of all those things with, with also one thing is I think that a lot of people who choose to pursue um, education as a career or choose to be educators within, like, the traditional education system have kind of a bias against business. Like, they think making money is dirty uh, and, and selling yourself is dirty and all that stuff. So I think that they um, maybe view themselves as above that stuff or that or, or 
that they're not interested in it or something like that. So that's that's my opinion is that a lot of the I think that's part of it is they don't they're not interested in telling you that stuff because they think it's gross and they're like purists. And yeah, I wish I could be a purist, but that's just not how the world works. It's interesting because I mean the same way that you know Uber and Lyft are putting taxicab businesses out of business or you know Airbnb you know challenging hotel companies you know it may be things like Creative Live or even punk rock MBA that ends up putting a significant dent into the education system or at least forcing them to pivot. Yeah, so we've talked about that quite a bit, like with Creative Live, um, and my personal opinion is like. Well, I've said this many times before, but I'll say it again, is um, I I am a believer in higher education, but I think that the onus is on the student to make the most of it. Like, if you expect the professors to, like, give you everything, it's just not going to happen. That's not the way life works in general. Maybe you'll get lucky and you'll find some, you know, people in your life who uh, you just kind of stumble into these people who will help you. But I think in general, like, you've got to... you've got to take the bull by the horns and all those resources are there. And so with, so I guess what I'm trying to say is with with the criticisms that we just said of the educational system, I think we've also got to like recognize that um, students need to hustle a little bit more. And if you expect to like, just go to this educational institution and come out of it with like a life handed to you, that's fiction. That's not how the world works. Like, so I went to school at the university of Cincinnati, which is a middle of the road state school and I believe that I got a world-class education out of it. And I've been told by other people who went to much fancier schools like, you know, Berkeley and stuff like that, that, that they thought I did too. Um, and the reason why is because I took advantage of every resource that was there. So, like, for example, uh, I would go to all my professor's office hours and just ask them about stuff. I didn't go there to argue about my grades like most people do with office hours. I went there and go, hey, the other day you were talking about such and such uh, with the SEC. Can you explain to me? how that works, like, why does the SEC have this regulation? How do you actually get through that process, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And I went to the library, and I read all the academic journals that they had there, because that's probably the only place, you know, I'll ever have access to those, all this stuff. And so um, I did some independent studies, like I had, you know, a couple credits to finish up at the end of my senior year, and I asked one of my professors, who was a really smart person, um, and she seemed open-minded. I said, hey, how about instead of doing this class, like I do this independent study for you, and, you know, get my credits that way. And so she did that. And so I came out of there like that was like, again, I got a, a degree in marketing and management for middle of the road state school on paper, nothing fancy. But I that was like a totally transformational experience for me. And the reason why is because I made the most of it. And that's where I think students go wrong. I think the the institutions go wrong by, you know, all the things we discussed. But I think students go wrong, which is that they just kind of. Uh, expect to be guided through this thing instead of like taking ownership of the path themselves. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And Justin can actually speak to this because he's 30, but he actually went back to get a second undergraduate degree. Um, So Justin, I guess share with Finn and all the listeners, what was your plan going back to college now knowing all these things that we're talking about? I would also like to know specifically why a second undergrad degree instead of a graduate degree, because that's pretty uncommon. Sure. So um, the situation came up in that when I got my first degree, it was, I guess it seemed out of necessity and it seemed uh, that I was, I mean, I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I wanted to finish college the first time, I think, um, for my parents' sake. 
Um, also the uncertainty that I wasn't sure where to go with life. And it just seemed like that was the safest route. So I put myself, I had stopped school the first time around somewhere, maybe three, four years down the road, changed majors a bunch of times. Um, and I stopped because the band was that Jordan and I were currently playing in at the, or that we were playing at the time we were doing great things. And I said, well, look, you know, school is a constant. It will always be here. I can pivot what I'm currently doing right now and change the route and say, you know, I can come back to school whenever. And, um, when the ban had stopped, I said, okay, well now I'm not really sure where to go. So I went back the first time and I graduated and honestly, I didn't give a shit. It was very whatever. And from there, I ended up just using all of my experience and that was everything from, I was, I was the booking agent in the band. I was the one who set up the tours. I was the one who dealt with all of the talent buyers and, uh, you know, all the different agents that were out there. And so I knew I, I had the, the skills to, of connecting with people and I just had to take the things I was passionate about and put them to use. And so, uh, I ended up starting a business where, uh, I bought and sold vintage and high end bass guitars because that's what really got me going was, was gear from the fifties, sixties and seventies. And I was able to use that to then, you know, travel and move, uh, and do a bunch of things that, that most people were, were doing that, you know, the nine to five hustle, or they were just grinding, um, you know, all hours of the day and still not being able to enjoy, uh, you know, the fruits of their labor of sorts. And so it was great. And, um, it was actually podcasts. Um, I would listen to the Joe Rogan experience and I would hear this, I think she's a biochemist, uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, and I would get so freaking fired up about nutrition and, uh, just trying to preserve life and, and live the, the happiest, healthiest life you can live through nutrition. Um, that, that ump that I felt in the same thing, I mean, you know, the same way I would feel it in music, um, and fitness and other things that really got, you know, like my spirit invigorated and me just pumped up about life. I said, fuck it. I have to go back. Um, and, and it's the same thing like Jordan. It was, it was, you know, the, the necessity of this is, you know, I'm going back, uh, studying dietetics. So I will graduate and do an internship and, uh, which I'm excited about to, to finally get out of the scholastic part of it and get into the real world experience part of it. And, um, and then sit for boards and become a registered dietitian of nutrition. And really it's one of those things where you can't go, you know, get a, I'm going to use the term, you know, you can't get like a punk rock MBA kind of idea, you know, and walk out and just call yourself a dietitian. And there are so many out there, uh, so many people out there who call themselves nutritionists or who will provide, yeah. uh, nutrition, you know, therapy or counseling for people and, and they're not legit. And I know I listened to you, I think I was listening to maybe the latest dear Finn. And you were just talking about, uh, you know, supposed experts of marketing. And it's like, you can listen to Joe Schmo, whoever, who's, who hasn't done shit in the game, but has just read a bunch of stories, you know, and said, here, here's the blueprint of how you do it, but they haven't done anything yeah. you know, versus listening to a guy like you who's fucking been there and done it. But with marketing and, and we've seen people who go through like marketing and PR programs and then have no idea what the fuck to do with their lives when they get out of there. Um, yeah. and, and it is possible to be an, to be an effective coach at something without being a good practitioner. I mean, like athletics are a good example of that. Sure. So I don't mean to totally, you know, write that off, but at the same time, like, I don't know, like these like overweight dietitians and stuff. That's yeah. So that's a little suspect to me. 
And no, look, there, in me. my program, there were plenty of people with doctorates who I didn't trust either. Yeah. And honestly, the unfortunate thing with, uh, for me and in, in, in the field, and I, and I look at, I look at doctors and obviously I think it's the same thing that you said. I'm trying to think how you phrased it. Um, it's, you know, something to the tune of, of who do you want to trust the, the supposed expert or the person who actually has something to show for what they do? You know, someone who kind of lives what they're talking about and, and it's like, you know, yeah, I see dietitians and we see this in every field. There are people who just talk about it and there's people who be about it. And obviously the, 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 the ones that I look to as people I look up to, who I look to for the most, uh, you know, innovative and cutting edge research and who are really pushing the envelope and are denouncing all the shit that's out there. Cause there's, I mean, there's just so much out there that is just so yeah. bad and wrong, you know, um, like proven wrong, but they're, but they're just stuck in their, uh, in their old ideals, you know? So it's, um, no, it, it's the same thing. You know, you just have to look at who's out there doing, doing good research and with the right intentions in any field, um, and, and actually then living it. And yeah, for, for the, to, to your point, um, my like general practitioner who I used to go to, I was like, fuck, this dude is like, he's, he's, he's out of shape. He's, he's heavy set. He's, not living, you know, like his best life when it comes to his health and not practicing. Yeah. And so like, I, I just stopped going to him. Cause like, I was like, I don't want to listen to this guy. I can't trust him. And the unfortunate thing about the medical side, the doctorate side is, um, doctors don't really take nutrition. You know, I think the infrastructure is more set that they push pills and obviously big pharma is a whole other issue and other can of worms we could get into. But I mean, that's in part of me going back to school because I know that with my struggles of nutrition growing up, um, my struggles of thinking so much about the aesthetic of being a musician and knowing my instrument, you know, well as well, but, you know, and writing good songs, but, but, um, you know, that kind of stuff, I know that my story will help others. And that's really the, the main reason to go back is that, you know, one, my passion for it. And two, that I, there's so many people that are being misinformed and, and I want to be somewhat of a guiding light to try to help people just with real knowledge and try to make a real change for people. You Matt, you had a thought you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just waiting if, if everybody else wanted to follow up. Um, no, I mean, I, it really just goes back to what you guys were addressing before and Finn, what you were talking about before when you were in school, which is taking the, the initiative to really go ask the questions and dig deeper. I mean, that's really what I think all of the, the, the students of mine and all of the people that, that I think collectively we even see in the chocolate croissants group are doing that are really advancing, you know, all of, all of, um, all of my friends who are the most successful at what they do now dug deeper than just what was on the surface. You know, they didn't, they didn't just take the classes and go party or <clears throat> excuse me. They didn't just, um, just kind of hope that they would figure it out as they go. You know, I actually, Finn, we have a mutual friend named Evan Taubenfeld. Um, and, yes. and we all know Evan and Evan is a brilliant guy. Um, you know, he, he did go to school as well. I, I don't recall if he actually graduated college, but one thing that I do know about Evan, um, which has made him extremely successful today is that he read books 
on his own time and took the initiative to learn about the industry in which he was working. So he didn't just like go through and, you know, cause so for those that don't know, Evan was um, for a long time, he was the, the guitar player for Avril Lavigne. He wrote songs with her. Um, he now works for a, a major management company is in the publishing world. Um, and Evan has always been really, by, in- by the way, let, let me interrupt really quickly. An example of, uh, a hardcore kid being hot behind every successful operation is that one of the partners in the company that uh, that that Evan works for is Matt from Judge. There you go. Yeah. There but you go. go on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I my point is, you know, as a kid, I you know, being eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I just remember Evan reading books about the music business, reading books about business in general, learning about publishing setting up meetings with lawyers, setting up meetings with publishers, asking the questions. And now when you look at what he does for a living, I mean, he's a true expert in his field and it's not a mistake and it's not by accident. He really put in the work. I think that there are personalities out there who, who become obsessed with whatever it is they're, they're doing or, or the path that they're headed towards. And that obviously is an amazing trait to have. And we've even talked about that on the podcast. There's some people who just kind of do things because they're good at it and they kind of float by and they, they do the bare minimum. But then there's other people who are not only good at it, but they become obsessed with whatever it is that they're trying to do. And they dig deep and they ask the questions and if there's a lesson, you gotta be, you gotta be a student of the game, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Some people like to read books. Some people want to, you know, put it into practice. However you want to be a student, it works, but like, find me a great musician that, you know, doesn't play very often, you know, they're not out there. Or if, if they don't play very often now, they did, you know, for 20 years or whatever, find me, a, you know, a great programmer that doesn't write code very often. Like you've got to be a student of the game if you want to get anywhere. And, how can you be surprised? Like if you're frustrated about like where you, what you've achieved or haven't have achieved, like ask yourself if you really like pushed it to the limit in terms of putting in the work. And I bet you didn't. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, Finn, here's, here's a question for you. Um, because this is something that you and I have had many private conversations about, um, Throughout all of your schooling, throughout all of the amazing experiences that you've had in the professional world, I know from from speaking with you that there's this undercurrent of anxiety and call it even self-doubt, which is pretty amazing because you've achieved so much and you also are now at a point of authority where you're helping other people navigate their own careers. But I have to believe that many of the people that we're talking about who, who are self-starters, who do take the initiative, also deal with this form of self-doubt, this form of anxiety. And um, I know I do. I deal with it every day. I'm just really curious about how you have sort of learned how to navigate through it over the years and if it's gotten better, if there were times when it was worse, times when it does get worse, what kind of sparks it, you know, if you're willing to talk about that kind of thing. Sure. Well, since we have a, a licensed psychotherapist on the on the line, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah. Um, and please jump in and correct me if I have anything I'm saying is stupid, wrong, or dangerous. Um, I, I would like to first draw a distinction between like um, like a a clinical issue and just kind of a, a temporary feeling. So, like mm-hmm. the difference between being you know bummed out about something that's happening and the difference between being clinically depressed is like categorically different. 
Um, like if you are clinically depressed, you feel like shit for kind of no real reason because it's a brain chemistry issue. You just or, wake up or, and then... Sorry, Finn, but or it happens significantly enough where it's really impacting your life, like family, work, etc. Sure. So, I, well, I could, I, yeah, I mean, I can only talk about my experience, but I mean, that's, that's to me is like, you just wake up feeling like there's a fucking black cloud over your head kind of for no reason. And, and when, when situational do thing, things do come up, um, it, it happens, it, it hits you harder and it has a greater effect on those things. Um, and same with like anxiety, there's a difference between nervous because you have a job interview coming up, in which case any will be nervous about that. Or with depression, like if your dad dies, anybody would be bombed about that. But if you're just kind of like, if, if you're, you know, super anxious for kind of no particular reason or really feel really shitty for no particular reason and want to kill yourself 10 times a day, like I used to do for no particular reason, that's a clinical thing. And that's, that's, that's a different, that's a different beast than just managing your own psychology in, uh, within like the, uh, boundaries of, I guess what I would call normal. Um, so that, that's my opinion, but I would love to hear yours since, again, you're the expert. Yeah, so I mean, like for with anxiety, for instance, uh, if, if you really can't point to why, then most likely it would be classified as like a generalized anxiety disorder. But again, using the terminology of, of disorder, it's really, it has to be uh, a level of severity for a specific amount of time um, where you would be able to say in a self-report it's significant or others in your family could say in a report it's significantly uh, you know uh, causing distress uh, in your life now if if someone in your family dies then yeah you're gonna be fucking depressed because that's that's normal you know but it could lead into a, a depression disorder if I guess relative to the you know general public, uh, you know three years later you still can't get out of bed because of it, you know. So I wouldn't just say you don't know why, and then it's a disorder. Um, but it, it, there's a matter of specifics as far as duration and uh, uh, how it's affecting your day to day life. So the reason I'm asking about this and kind of want to poke at this a little bit is because, uh, and again, please cut me if I'm saying anything uh, stupid is that it drives me nuts that I hear people, you know, especially on like social media and stuff who are, you know, to use the word neurotypical, who don't get it, say stuff like, you know, uh, you know, that you should eat more vegetables or go to the gym or something like that. Yes, of course you should do that stuff, but that's not going to fucking fix your brain chemistry on its own necessarily. So I think it's very dangerous for people to think you can manage all these things like without the help of a professional if if you have a an actual disorder so like if you think you have a disorder like or even like even if you just think you might you should go talk to a professional maybe they'll tell you now nah, you're good you know but you know maybe they might tell you that you need to get some help with that and I, it never occurred to me like I, I realized that i have had like what is i guess they call it like dysthymia um mm-hmm like for my whole life. And I, I never even thought about it until I was like 30 because nobody ever told me like, Hey, you should probably go talk to a doctor. Um, and then I did and, you know, whatever, got on some medication that helped me out, blah, blah, blah. Um, which is a whole other topic. Um, but it never occurred to me. And I realized I was like, I just thought life sucked. 
I was like, oh, I, I, I just figured, like, because everyone in my family, I mean, my mom, I realized, probably had depression, too. Um, and I just sort of had the expectation that you go through life feeling shitty and sad and anxious all the time. And that's just how life was. Um, until somebody I knew who had been through it was like, uh, you, you need to talk to a doctor. So I did, and it fixed me up. So um, I, I think that's an important thing for people to, to, uh, to consider. Uh, I, I would never tell somebody what they should or shouldn't do um, in terms of, you know, getting professional help, but you should at least consider it as an option. And don't think that eating your fucking vitamins is necessarily going to solve this problem for you. No, totally. And I, I agree with that. And it, it's interesting to hear that uh, something like dysthymia, uh, you know, which is low mood and, and oftentimes kind of low energy and interest in things to compare that to the lifestyle and that you have now, I mean, that's, it's, it's incredible the difference, uh, in your life, it seems. Well, um, I've always been a hard worker. I just sort of had to like, I don't know. I mean, that's just, I don't know. Uh, ever, you know, these things are weird and very individualized and it's never stopped me from doing things. It just, I just felt like shit the whole time. Right. Um, right. And, but to your and, credit, you, you, for whatever reason, whether it was, uh, you know, your own self-motivation or, or a parent or whomever, uh, you did something about it. And, and, you know, and I'm sure someone like Justin learning about the, the benefits of food and trust me, they're clearly, you can't separate what you put into your body from your body, just the same way you can't really separate your body from your emotional state. I mean, it's all interconnected. Um, but it's, it's also very individualized and, you know, there, there's a whole lot of debate of whether disorders are purely biological and genetic uh, versus environmentally influenced from like shitty parenting, et cetera. Uh, sure. and, and you can't say it's all or nothing. It's all a combination. And yeah, if you're feeling a certain way, going to see a psychotherapist of, of some sort is never a bad idea. Just like Improving your diet is also never a bad idea, but you can't really put the full solution into just one thing, I think. Yeah, to Jordan's point, Finn, for clarity, um, when, when you're seeing wherever you saw, you know, people, people spouting this idea of if All you fix your diet. Yeah, and, 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 big pharma, blah, blah, blah. Right. No, no, no. It's totally out there. And we know that. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's people who, who generally are just trying to promote themselves, you know, by throwing out whatever the, the big topic is at the time. Um, yeah. but, but the people who are putting out that out there, are they saying it in like, Hey, if you're clinically depressed or if you feel as Jordan was saying, you know, it's something that, that you've been dealing with this for years. Cause I think dysthymia is something that, that lasts for years, right? Yeah. And something that you dealt with for years. And, um, it's actually interesting to, to see how much you did while, you know, having that disorder, even though to your point, you said that you're, you're just a hard worker. Um, but I mean, that's still, for me, even, even when I just feel off, you know, when I get up in the morning and like my stomach feels like shit, maybe, you know, I start to think of, I go through the motions of like, okay, well, what did I do and how can I change that? And generally I'll, I'll start with, you know, just, uh, proper nutrition and exercise to try to get myself to start feeling better. And obviously that has nothing to do with if you're clinically ill, you know, well, and here's, here's what a lot of people don't get is, and, and again, these things are individualized, but I, like people think that it's like, make good choices and then your brain chemistry will get, will, will get in a right, in the right place, which may right. be true. But 
it's oftentimes the opposite, which is you're not going to make healthy choices until your brain chemistry is in order. And you see this a lot. I mean, this is why a lot of people end up getting into like drugs and shit like that is to self-medicate. Um, a lot of people like know that they should be making healthy choices about food and exercise and all that stuff. But just it's fucking hard. Like if you've ever dealt with this stuff, like it's just it's hard to make those good choices. You're fighting against your brain. And so people have the causal relationship inverted in a lot of cases. I mean, my stepmom is a good, like, again, these are individualized. So that's, it's not like there's one thing that's going to be true for everybody, but I just think it's such a dangerous thing to like tell, to like give people the idea that they can or should manage these things on their own. If they, if they believe that they might have a disorder, it's like, it could kill somebody for one. Uh, and, and even if it doesn't kill them, it could, you, you may be encouraging someone to like live a miserable life when they didn't have to, like, if uh, all you need to do is take your Wellbutrin every day, like I do, and you feel fine, like, like uh, that's fine. Like, the idea, like, they t- you hear all these people on Facebook say, so, well, I don't want to be dependent on a pill. Okay, well, diabetics don't want to be dependent on insulin, but, but here we are, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of the world we live in. And so I, it, it really irritates me, especially among, like, I guess what we'd say, like people from like an alternative lifestyle who are skeptical of like institutions and authority figures and stuff like that, um, that uh, I think give people really dangerous advice. I, I totally agree with you, Finn. And really, once you start getting into the like, oh, you're dependent on on a chemical, you know, for uh, like a pill, uh, then you can open up the can of worms of being dependent on sugar or caffeine. Sure, uh, exactly. Um, but I, I do want to make mention, though, uh, because you brought up this chicken or the egg type thing of, well, is it is it your behaviors that change your brain chemistry, or is it the brain chemistry changing first to then it's influence? Both. It's, yeah. it's both. And and so, for instance, uh, the business Beatwell, like it's all founded on uh, evidence based research of these group drumming protocols actually having significant changes in our brain chemistry um, and the body in general. So by doing certain things, whether it's drumming a certain way or mindfulness meditation or exercise, you actually do change the, the expression of brain chemistry. So I do yeah, want to... And, and by no means do I want to advocate what, what they used to call it at Procter & Gable, the, the chemical hammer that like, you know, every, every, every problem should be treated with chemistry. That's for sure not my point of view by any means. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to, like, I think there's such a bias um, against that even being an option. That's kind of specifically what, um, what bothers me. Um, and I did, did want to point out, like, specifically in regard to anxiety, um, I mean, it sounds totally like you, you guys are going to kick me in the balls for being so stupid. But um, I was having, like, really bad anxiety, like, the past year, and yet I refused to cut back my caffeine in the morning. Like, so do you think that, do you think that those two things might be related, that I'm drinking a shitload of caffeine in the morning and also feeling extremely anxious? I <laughs> think might be. I, because <laughs> I, I experience that. You know, I love, there's nothing I love more than a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. But it also sometimes, if it's too much or too strong, or I'm just in a certain state of being, it will create uh, like jittery feelings, and which becomes uh, anxiety-producing. And then for sometimes for the first half of my day, I just feel kind of off, and it sucks. Yeah. And also, one I, I, coffee. 
Like I had that feeling like for the first half of the day. So, you know, you know, like you're crossing the street and like you almost get hit by a car and like, you know, they miss you by six inches or something like that. And you're like, holy fuck, like I almost hit by a fucking car and your heart's yep. beating fast and you just feel like shaken. Hmm. I felt like that from maybe like 7 a.m. to noon every day for like the past year. And so if you want some more insight into that real quick, Finn, that is your stress response kicking into high gear. And the stress response is a natural part of, you know, our bodily experience. And it's important because if you're, you see like a grizzly bear in the woods, well then, yeah, like you need a certain uh, reaction of things to happen in your body to either fight it or run away. The problem with, with our culture in general now is that it never truly shuts off because we have the reverse called the relaxation response, uh, where everything starts to slow down a bit. And, but what happens with our current culture is that the stress response, it's not always in high gear, but it's always this like drip effect. And that's, if you've ever had trouble falling asleep at night because thoughts are just racing in your head, like that's part of that. Um, and, and for many of us, and, and maybe it's, it's your case for some reason, maybe it's just your natural chemistry where day to day, these responses seem to be more habitual or natural, um, or, or who knows what it could be. And that's well, part I of cu- I cut my caffeine intake by about 80% and mm-hmm. magically that anxiety went away. There you go. So, <laughs> but yeah, so with that said, I, I think it's important to do what you can you know, to, uh, correct that stuff with like exercise and diet and stuff like that. And then also the other thing I noticed, so speaking, we, we've talked about mindfulness a little bit. And so I do jujitsu like every day, like usually five days a week, um, sometimes only four, but I try to go five days a week, like at noon. And I noticed a couple things is that, um, after jujitsu, no matter how anxious I was before, after jujitsu, I feel totally calm without exception, no matter what else is going on. Uh, and I don't know biologically what's going on, but like clearly it's a thing. Um, and so I have realized that that's not just like exercise for me. That's like, um, that's important to my mental health as well. And do you know who uh, Stephen Kotler is? Are you familiar with him? No. He, he studies like the flow state. Um, okay. Uh-huh. And he has a, an acronym uh, for this, which I realized totally describes jujitsu for me and probably for a lot of people, which is stir, uh, that selfless, timeless and information rich. And when, for me, when I'm doing jujitsu, I feel selfless because like, I, 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 you know, I'm just, I'm not thinking, I, I, I don't have a sense of, of self being, you know, uh, as a being separate from anyone else timeless. Like, I mean, if, if you've ever rolled like this time just flies by, and it's information rich because, you know, you're so focused on trying to, you know, keep somebody from choking you or trying to choke them or whatever. And it's very technical. And so I realized, like, I'm spending an hour a day in this, like, selfless, timeless, information rich state, which is that's a mindfulness practice, you know, and I never really thought about it that way. But um, I realized that that's what it is for me. And it's like really, really key for me to be like a happy person. Yeah, and for those listening, I think a lot of the musicians in the chocolate croissants community can really identify with that in that playing an instrument, that takes us into a flow state, whether we've realized it or not. And totally. I know for me, as, as a little kid, 
uh, playing drums was my way of processing the things that I couldn't speak and processing, you know, the, the anger and frustration and, and joy that I wanted to, to experience. But it took, you know, many, many years uh, until I realized, oh, that is, one, that is one of the reasons why drumming and playing music and experiencing music was so natural for me because it gave me all these other benefits in life. The other thing I would mention is that for the people listening to this, you know, in like creative communities, I would say, um, I would say the majority and probably a large majority of people in the creative community have some sort of, um, some sort of moderate or, or maybe moderate, you know, yeah, mild to moderate issue at least with some sort of like depression or anxiety or, you know, some sort of like some sort of, I don't know if I'd call it a disorder necessarily, but like we're almost all dealing with some of this stuff. So um, I, I think there's a couple things to think of. There's like one, just that you're not alone. And two, that like for me, um, I don't, th- I, I, I realized that my reference group was probably not good. Like my, my as, as I said before, I felt like I just had to like suffer through it because this is just what life was. It's because I was around a bunch of other people that were also dealing with the same stuff. And then after I ended up being around some like, um, uh, I'll, I'll say healthier people, I don't mean that as like a judgment, but after being around some healthier people, it's very eye opening to just be like, oh, it doesn't have to be like this. Wow. I never thought about that. And so. Um, and you, you think about like all these like eccentric people and stuff in the music scene um, that uh, I think about when I was a kid. We were like, oh, wow, you know, Sam from Born Against. Wow, he's a wild guy. And then later, you know, because I was 17 or something, I didn't know what to look for. And now later in life, I'm like, OK, that guy was dealing with some pretty fucking serious mental illness. Like he wasn't just an eccentric guy. He was like really dealing with some serious shit. And so I think... Um, I don't know. I guess uh, my 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 takeaway there is like, um, be careful not to like surround yourself exclusively with um, people who uh, you know kind of may lead you to believe that this is normal when it's not. Finn, I'm, I wonder, you know, for musicians or, or creatives, anyone who really feels. Um, that kind of stress or anxiety for you, it seems like the release from all of that is that 12 o'clock, uh, you know, jujitsu where you get to go roll and, and it's, it maybe takes you out of the world, the busy world of, of all the things that you have responsibility to. And now you're in this heightened state where you're actually defending yourself in, in this like life or death kind of situation potentially. Yeah, but I don't think I don't feel like it's life or death. To me, it's like doing a crossword puzzle. Like it's just like sure, you're it's just a, it out. It's just like a fun. Yeah, it's a fun, a fun activity for me. Um, I don't get that like fight or flight response at all. Like sure, not not at all. Yeah, but I, I guess like you know, then at your you know at your point, at least it's taking you out of one world and it's putting you in something completely different. And maybe that's the distraction, or maybe that's the the. The Stop change of one, state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stop one the bit selfless, of noise. The selfless and timeless part, for sure. Yeah, and, and what's interesting, you know, obviously I think to that effect of, of talking about the, the brain chemistry is just, you know, after we exercise that, that release of the neurochemicals uh, that will just increase, you know, feelings of maybe elation, happiness, and, and a sense, yep. maybe a sense of calm. And, and I, I feel like that is great advice for anyone 
out there who, who maybe deals with high stress and, and a lot of responsibility and that if, if people do have a focus on mental health, and I think it's amazing that you're able to maybe get up and start your day, you know, whatever time, six, seven o'clock in the morning, you get to work like you're currently at work. And for you, it's, uh, you know, nine, 10 o'clock when we started this. And then at noon, you're able to dip out, take a break, you know, uh, the idea of like unplugging of sorts, you know, and go roll and be in a whole different mindset. And then you can probably go right back to work. Um, I think the, the focus on mental health and the people around you, you know, being supportive of you going to do that, uh, is, is really awesome. Well, I've carefully structured my life that way because I realized I need it. And maybe other people don't need that, you know, maybe, you know, we're all different, but I realized that I need that. And of, of course, Structuring my life that way is, you know, a hard, hard to do because it's, you know, most people can't get away from things for an hour in the middle of the day. Right. Um, and, and B, you know, choosing that for sure has held me back from some other things. Like, I mean, um, I, I'm not going to be a director at Amazon and be able to like dip for an hour in the middle of the day. So that like, that's a choice on my part. I've chosen to give up some opportunities because you know, I, I believe that this thing is more important to me. Um, and, uh, so who knows that at Amazon, maybe that will become the work norm of taking a break, you know, like the nap pod idea of just uh, like, Hey, (laughs) it won't at Amazon. Um, although almost all the guys that do jujitsu with are Amazon engineers. Um, but they're like a little lower on the food chain. Like once you get to be like more senior, it's like, you got to live and die for the company. And if that, you know, if that makes you happy, and it does make some people happy. I guess that uh, what I'm what I what I'm trying to say here, the larger point is like, for anybody listening to this, my suggestion is is you know, we we talk a lot about like achieving things, but the goal isn't actually achieving this, that, or the other. Like the goal is to be happy, and there's an assumption in our culture that achieving this, that, or the other will make you happy, and that is not necessarily true. Um, so you should optimize for happiness not for achievement per se. And for some people, achievement is the same thing as happiness. But I actually think that's a fairly small amount of people. I think probably all of us talking right now and a lot of people listening have like, you know, achieved something or other, uh, thinking that be like, oh, well, as soon as I do such and such, I'm going to feel great. And then you do it and you feel no fucking different than you did before. And you're like, oh, uh, okay. Well, I thought once I got to the top of the mountain, everything would be cool. Um, what's going on, you know, and that's because like achievement is not the same thing as happiness. That's a, that's a really, really big point, Finn, because I've found that as I've hit certain milestones with different things in my life, it doesn't actually make me feel better under the surface, but what has actually made me feel better has been making these slight tweaks, kind of like what we're talking about. And I, we've talked about this specifically, like I've also cut down on caffeine and I've noticed a big difference, um, in how I feel I'm less jittery and the days that I do forget and I go get a coffee first thing in the morning, or I make coffee first thing in the morning it really doesn't serve me too well. I need to sort of pace it out over the the day and do it at the right times. I also find that, and Justin, you know this, like working out midday to later in the afternoon is typically better for me because it's kind of like you said, like get a little bit of work done, then go really focus on your mental state, your physical state. Um, and that has to come first. That That is the big thing. Like you can work all day and achieve every goal that you want to achieve in terms of your business and your professional life. But if you're not taking care of yourself emotionally, 
uh, and physically, then you're really no good to anybody. And I, I just, I really can't stress enough how important it is for people to try to model their lives off of what is going to be the best for them for longevity, for happiness, for going forward. And Finn, in, in our conversations, you know, I know that, that you were sort of debating about which direction to go, you know, is the direction to go higher up the corporate ladder, to make more money, to have a, a, a stronger accolade next to your name so that, you know, a, as you, as you continue to progress in this world, you just, you know, you reach that, as you said, you know, get closer to the top of that mountain. And yeah, that might be great, but say goodbye to your ability to have a social life, say goodbye yeah. to your ability to have a, 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 a personal mental health focused life because you need to commit all that energy and there's a very finite amount of energy to the work that you're doing. Um, and I'm really happy that you made the decision that you made because it's, it is allowing you to be a happier person and you and I can both agree. I think we all can agree that the more that we, the more space we allot ourselves to, to do the things that make us happy and find the things that make us happy on a daily basis, the more productive actually we can be and probably the more successful overall long-term we're going to be able to, to be. Um, so that's just, that was a point I wanted to bring up. And there was one other thing though, that I wanted to ask about that, that, um, that you guys were discussing, which is, you know, there's this proof with drum circles, for example, like, you know, people, people getting into drum circles, there's this proof that, that they feel better afterwards or that it, it helps to change their brain chemistry. Um, there's proof that going to the gym and exercising or, you know, focusing on your health or running down the street or eating well, making these nutritional changes to your lifestyle, it's all beneficial. However, there has to be motivation to do these things. And what I keep seeing are that are a lot of people that <clears throat> don't really have their own motivation to do it. And I'm not talking about the motivation out there that we see like, oh, you know, stay strong, be, be productive, you know, like what we see from, from the influencers of the world. I'm talking about like that voice inside your head that forces you to say, you know what, I am going to go do this right now. A lot of people don't have that and they don't have an influence yeah. to, to have that. So how do we get past that? Like how, how, how can I, I cause I, I don't want to motivate people. I don't think we can. I think, again, that's a decision they have to make by themselves, but like, what about the people that don't have that voice and that are just stuck in this sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, depressed state or um, this, this this place of limbo? You know, like what what about those people? Well, I'll, I'll, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say enlighten us, Finn. That's a big one. Well, look, I, I'm probably not. This is not going to be very gentle, uh, and. So some people, this will be too bruising for them. Other people, it'll be what they need to hear. Like, I don't know what to fucking tell you. Like, if you can't find the energy to do something that you enjoy, then good fucking luck. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like, you know, Jocko puts it well, I think, which is, he says, um, uh, you want to be tougher? Try this. Be tougher. I mean, that's kind of all there is to it. And, like... Nobody in the world other than your mom is going to fucking look out for you. Like, and your mom can only do so much for you. Like, you've got to look out for number one. And if you don't have the motivation to do that, then somebody else is going to eat your fucking lunch. And that's just, life is going to eat your lunch. 
Like, that's just how the world works. It's like we're very fortunate that we live in a world in which we don't have to worry about basic survival. So uh, we become very, like, lazy and complacent and, you know, worry about, like, oh, my boss said something mean to me, blah, blah, blah. Like, you just got to fucking man up and take control of the outcome of your life, whatever that is. And nobody gives a fuck about your sob story about, like, nobody gives a fuck that I have anxiety or, you know, that I grew up this way or that way. Like, all that shit doesn't matter. Like, you have to take complete ownership of anything in your life. Like, you you f- decide on the outcome you want and fucking will it into existence. That's all there is to it. And if you don't have that, I can't help you find it. Like, for me, I grew up pretty poor, and a, a lot of my family has ended up in... And, and friends and stuff have ended up in very bad places, like dead or in prison or homeless or whatever, like really bottom of the barrel shit. Like, not like, oh, Joe has a job he doesn't like. It's like, oh, he hung himself uh, and my mom found him under a bridge, like that kind of outcome. And so for me, like, I have always operated, I don't know if fear is the word necessarily, but like, I think for a lot of people, their um, spectrum of what the outcomes for life can be is very narrow. Like they think that like the, they think the floor is I have a job that I don't really like that much. Like to them, that's the worst possible outcome. And the worst possible outcome to me is, uh, you drink yourself to death and then get murdered. Um, and like, so to that, that's like, you know, people say, could you do such and such if you had a gun at your head? Well, I feel like I have a fucking gun on my head every minute of every day and, and not in a bad way. Like, that's fine. Like, I, so I guess my perspective on finding motivation is like, um, yeah, if, if you don't fucking do it for yourself, you're just like letting life sort of cast, you know, you're, you're like a little fucking paper boat adrift on the ocean, you know, and good luck with that. So I don't have a lot of like soft words or compassion for people that are like struggling to find motivation. Like you have, if you are an able-bodied person, like in other words, like if, you know, assuming we're, we're not born with any kind of disability in the Western world, the world is your fucking oyster and you can have absolutely anything you want. So go fucking get it. So I want to pull at both ends uh, with that Finn. I completely agree with the sentiment. It's for me, it's very black and white. You either do it or you don't do it. And I get that. Pulling at the other end of that, though, I would say come at it with that energy, but also love yourself in the process. And what I mean by that is not having this this self-talk or this motivation of, you know, you have to do it, you piece of shit. It, you, you know yeah, what I no, mean? I don't mean it that way at all. My, right. my and I, but I just like, want to clarify for yeah. everyone listening. It's more like, dude, you've got everything you need. Like, go do it. There's nothing holding you back other than your own psychology. So Absolutely. That, that's, that, yeah, that's a great point to clarify. It's by no means, uh, there's nothing negative about that to me. No, it's all self-love. And for me, yeah. that and, and self-awareness and really just accepting who we are, where we are, that's the whole game. And being able to support ourselves um, where we are and then being able to choose where we want to go and then making a very black and white decision of yep. this is where I want to go. And I need to start putting that energy 
uh, into that direction. Wherever uh, you which, are right now, like you put yourself there for better or for worse. Hmm. Like you put yourself there unless you got struck by lightning or something like that. But like wherever you are in life right now, you put yourself there. Totally. And, and, and it's fucking hard, but like, that's what, how, you know, what's the worth? Well, it's, it's the happiness of your existence while you're here. So for me, that's enough exactly. to do the work. Um, I had a, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead, Ben. Well, I had a, a very interesting, like kind of, I mean, I've had a few of these wake up moments uh, in my life, but I had a, a particularly good one this February. I went to a convention for this, uh, this piece of marketing software called uh, ClickFunnels, which is like uh, kind of like a lead pages type thing. Basically, you can like collect emails and sell shit online. Um, and the the community around it is a bunch of kind of corny people. Um, and I went to this convention. There's, I don't know, a few hundred people there. And they, they actually give you a little badge if you've made over a million dollars with ClickFunnels. They call it the like three comma club. And, and there are people walking around. And I know who some of these people are, so I know they're not lying. Like, there are a bunch of these people walking around. And I heard them talk on stage and stuff and just say, like, the most unsophisticated shit, like get all kinds of very basic stuff wrong. Like, but they, they said churn when they met retention and like used, like got decimal places, just basic shit wrong. And I was like, Holy fuck. Like these people are not that smart. And yet they've made themselves millionaires. Like, th- like that was such a, like, um, wake up, like a, a splash of water in the, in, in the face for me. Cause I was like, what's like if they can do it why like i can do it too like it was just like you don't have to um you don't have to read all the books in the world to like to do it you don't have to be gifted in any particular way to do a lot of these things the difference between them and me is they just rolled up their sleeves and did it whereas i was still reading these books and like telling myself i was going to do it and that was just like a very um and i don't mean to put these people down by any means it's the opposite it was empowering to me i was like man I was looking down on these people as though they were stupid, but who's the stupid one? Cause they did it and I didn't. Right. Totally. And, and actually at this point, uh, for me, it's a good time, uh, to transition into now what you have been doing, uh, with that self-motivation, uh, you know, which is branding and marketing. Um, to all you guys, this sucks. I, I need to leave in about seven minutes, which breaks my heart. Um, I moved the mountain to even, uh, have this conversation today. Um, but I'm just kind of spinning 20 plates at once today, at least. Um, but, but branding and marketing, I, I love it. And I am, uh, I become alive in that. And Finn, I really look up to you as, as a true professional in the field. Uh, so with a little bit of time that I have left, and I know Matt and Justin want to dig into a couple other things. And also there's a bunch of questions from the people in our Facebook group. Um, but Finn, I, I'm, I'm curious, do you have any core branding philosophies? So when you think about the act of branding or even marketing, like what, how are you, what's your foundation? Uh, I, yeah, my foundation is to give people what they want. That that's, that's the goal of marketing. People have an idea that marketing is to trick people into giving you their money or something like that. That's not marketing. That's like, that's theft. That's like conning people. Uh, any any good marketer, like all we fundamentally want to do is find out what people want and give it to them. So like with, you know, with Get Good Drums, for example, we, we go, well, what would, what would thrill music producers all over the world 
in terms of a drum library. Like we want to find that out and then we want to push ourselves to the limit to give it to them. That's it. So my philosophy is that is like just if you help people, if you give them what they want, then that's a great business. If you can solve a problem for people, then that's a business. I love it. And it's simple and, and simple works. Um, so I guess within keeping in mind the, the type of people listening to this, a lot of people are creatives and uh, would like to find ways to share their art, whether it's music or photography or food uh, with the world and, and possibly monetize it. Um, is there any actionable advice? And I know there's a bunch of questions around this type of stuff in the group. Um, so, and even, and I'll bring one up. Uh, so for instance, uh, Joseph from, from Montreal in Canada, uh, his band is about to release a music video and, uh, it's their first big release, which they're excited about obviously. And so they're thinking about the most effective ways to promote the video. Um, so, you know, he mentioned social media, uh, but I, I guess, thinking more big picture, uh, to someone who's in a band and has a music video, like what, what advice would you give them on where to put their energy? Uh, well, I don't really feel qualified to answer that, to be honest, because I've never been in a band, uh, and I've never, um, I've never marketed a music video. So I think Matt would be able to do a better job of answering that than I can. Cool. Yeah. Well, Look, you got to put it out there and you need to you need to use that as a great method to share your music. But Finn, what I think you might be able to speak to is the power of video right now. And you know, I would actually d- kind of like back up this this question with another question that we have from the group which is um from our buddy uh Simon San- uh, Sandes from Norway who's curious about what you think about boosting posts on, on Facebook and Instagram and what type of posts should be boosted, how much, how long. Um, he mentions that he keeps seeing nail the mix in his newsfeed all the time, which is great. Um, and obviously, you know, I would imagine you're behind that Finn, but let's talk about if I came to you and said, Hey Finn, I got this new video I want to put out. What do you recommend I do with it from a, from a, a boosted post sponsored post standpoint? Uh, well, there's a, a few things I would maybe unpack before before we get to the specifics of like what box to check in the Facebook ad dialog boxes. First of all, that you can only market something that is marketable. So if you have a an unremarkable song and your band is playing in a warehouse somewhere, you can spend all the money in the world on that and you're not going to get what you want out of it because the thing itself is not marketable. Um and so you have to, I think, start by being really honest with yourself about like why. Would, like I always ask myself, who gives a shit? Like why would I? I understand why I'm excited about this, but why should somebody other than me give a shit about this thing that I am trying to promote? And you have to be honest with that. Sometimes you're going to be wrong, you know. But uh, start there. And then second, um, you need to define success. So, uh, as I often say, like if you were going on a hike, um, you would have a destination in mind because otherwise, how would you know whether you've gotten there or not, if you haven't defined the destination? So what is your goal for, for doing this? And the goal should not like, it has to be specific and it has to be, so it has to be specific and actionable. So you need to be able to say, did we achieve our goal or not? So it can't be get as many as people, as many people as possible to watch our video. Well, is that a thousand people or is that a billion people? Because music videos have, you know, view counts in all those ranges. 
So figure, you know, is it, do you just want anybody's eyeballs on it or are you trying to get signed? Are you trying to get on a tour? Like what, what are you, are you trying to sell your album with this? Like what is your actual goal? And then put a, not all goals need numbers, but I think generally speaking, it's helpful to have them on it. A good goal, in my opinion, has a direction, a number and a time frame attached to it. I've said this a million times, but maybe it'll be new to people listening to this. Like, so increase or decrease this or that number by the following date. So for example, get a hundred thousand views of our video, um, by January 1st or increase, um, our, you know, YouTube subscribers by 50,000 by February 2nd or whatever it is. And then work backwards from there. Very cool. I'm going to jump in real quick, guys. Uh, I have to go, which breaks my heart. Uh, so I just want to personally thank you, Finn. I really, really respect you and was glad that we got to chat and, and I look forward to staying in touch with you. For sure. Hopefully I'm not coming off as too much of a butthole. No, I mean, dude, like you're the fucking man. And, and like I said, you know, earlier when I messaged you, like it, it meant a lot to, for me to be a part of this. I, I did what I could to not miss it. Uh, so thank you. It. Yeah, man. And everyone listening, uh, as always, you know, you know, you at this point, I hope know that, uh, we just love you for your attention and uh, for your commitment, especially in the Facebook group. So I will see you guys all there this week. Uh, and Justin and Matt, you guys can take this home. And I love you guys. And I'll see you soon. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks, right, Jordan. How are you doing? Good job, Jordan. Um, yeah, Finn, I, I think that's great. And, and one of the things that you and I spend a lot of time on, specifically now with, with Get Good Drums, is actually... Um, you know, setting these goals, like, okay, whether it's running a sale, like, is our goal to sell a hundred units when running a sale? Is it to sell 200 when we launch a new product? How many sales do we want to see within the first week? If by the end of the year, we can make X amount in revenue, um, are we going to be happy or not? And I, I mean, we've had many of these conversations as a team, just you and I sort of, you know, talking about what our, our, our conservative versus lofty goals are, but it really does help to set those kind of goals, no matter how far fetched they may seem, because it gives you really something to work towards and to, and, you know, to, to like, to focus on and focus your energy on it and, and measure as you go, you know? So I don't know. I, I think what you're saying is great. And to go back to what, um, you know, the question about the music video, it's like, I think you got to ask, is it a good video first? Yeah. And is the music good? And that's a tough thing to ask because music and art is very, very personal. And I think it really needs to be like, do you as the band love your song? Do you as the band love your music? Can you put this out there and stand behind it with passion? And if you could put it out there and stand behind it with passion, then it's likely that whatever you put out there is going to have that feel to it. It's like a chef that cooks with love versus someone who's just making a recipe and doesn't give a fuck, you know? So if you have that and then you set goals that are measurable, I think you can achieve a lot. You just have to be very, very calculated, you know? Yeah, well, I guess just to be like... You, know, you, you can comment from the artist's perspective. Um, I'll, I'll dig a little bit deeper into kind of the, the tactics uh, from a marketing perspective, um, you know, without getting into any specific numbers. When we first worked together on GGD, you know, you said, hey, we would like to sell this many by this date. 
you know, do you think that's possible? And I said, well, let me, let me see. And so I, uh, you know, fired up Excel and made a couple models. Uh, and I said, okay, here's like kind of a high, I think estimates are a good way to go because it's very difficult to like precisely predict most of these things. Sure. Um, I, I made a few models. If you recall, I said, if it costs us this much per click and this many people buy once they click, then it'll cost us this much, you know, maybe kind of a high, medium and low estimate. And, uh, so does that, and then, then the next thing to do is kind of see if it passes the smell test is to look at those estimates and go, do those seem like something I could, I could actually, you know, achieve in the real world? And we said, yeah, I think so. Um, and we use that as our, and so we, we chose one of those as, okay, this is going to be our goal. And I think it was what ninety days or something like that. Yeah, that was was our yeah date from there. And then we checked ourselves on a weekly and daily basis against that goal to see if we were on track or not. And uh, as I recall, we ended up coming damn close, like maybe ninety ninety five percent of what was a pretty ambitious goal. And the reason we were able to do that is because we had that very specifically defined goal, and then we checked ourselves against that goal you know, on, on, on a daily and weekly basis to say if we needed to change course or if we were good. Definitely. And here's the thing. I mean, a lot of people I think are scared to look at their numbers, right? They're scared to look at their bank account. They're scared to look at their numbers. They're scared to look at the progress in the fear of like, Oh shit, like it's not going well, but what are you going to do? Ignore it? Like, if you ignore it, then nothing is going to get better and you're not going to be able to make the tweaks that are necessary in order yeah. to, to, to achieve the goal eventually. And I don't know what the name of that is. Like, I wonder if there's an actual name for that kind of fear. Um, but that's something that people need to get over when you're running a business. Like you need to know the data. You have to look at it. And even if you're not good at it, like do your best to figure out like the basic metrics you need to understand or bring someone on to the team who really does know that stuff. And Finn, I mean, as an example, you know, you know so much more about analyzing that kind of data than I do. I know the basics. I know what it looks like to say, okay, I want to sell this many units by this date and make this much revenue so we can do this with this, with this, you know, with our earnings to continue to invest in the company. But you really have the knowledge to go in and say, okay, well, if we make this tweak here, we make this tweak here. If we cut back here, if we increase here, if we target the audience better, you know, I, those are the things that like, I don't understand. I, or you at least could, you could, if you, you could, if yes. you, if you chose to invest your time in that, you could, How, you know, correct. just the same as I could probably be a pretty good drummer one of these days. If I chose to invest my time in that, I don't want to. Yes. Um, and you don't want to invest your time in this, but yeah. Uh, and so the reason I mentioned that is because I think you're right. That a lot of people are afraid of numbers. Um, and I, and I believe that that's because there is a, um, there's kind of a, a, a narrative or belief that creative people quote unquote, aren't good at math or something like that. Um, I thought that, uh, for a long time when I was younger. Um, and then I had to take a bunch of fucking math in college. I'd take like, I think four quarters of calculus, two or three quarters of stats, financial accounting, um, whatever the other kind of accounting was, I'd take a bunch of math and I was really scared, but then I got A's and B's and all of it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, if I can take like, you know, calc four at the college level and get an A minus in it, I guess I don't suck at this. And 
that was very empowering for me. And, 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 and the things, and you don't have to know calculus to do this shit, by the way, like nobody has to do calculus other than like engineers. And even then they have software that does it for them. So my point with all of this is like, um, not everything has to be about numbers, but like this stuff is basic arithmetic. It's like addition, multiplication, division, subtraction. It's not complicated. And I think if you just kind of tell yourself, you know, it goes back to the self-talk thing, tell yourself you can do it. And I think you'll find that it's not nearly as intimidating as you might have thought it was. And that it'll be very helpful to just use these numbers as a way of setting uh, a goal and keeping you on track towards that goal. I, th I think a really good phrase for, for what both of you are discussing is just paralysis by analysis, you know, overanalyzing something and then just freezing up and doing nothing, which <clears throat> for most people doesn't really serve them. And yeah, there may be a point where you, you need to overanalyze or really take a, a good analysis of what you're currently doing. And that may stop you in your tracks, which could be a beneficial thing from time to time. But, you know, obviously just finding the motivation, uh, to, to try to accomplish the goal, what you're trying to do, you know, if you let, if you let fear, uh, you know, or anxiety, whatever it is, overwhelm you of what you're trying to do, it's going to be really, really hard to accomplish the task that you've set in front of you. Um, but I, I find it really interesting because I remember for me being in a band, trying to wear too many hats is, is, uh, a quick way to stop your progress, uh, wherever you're trying to go. And, I think to that point, it's, it's great to have a guy like you, Finn, who has an expertise in your field that for most creatives, that may not be their strong suit. And yeah, like you said, you could read up on it, you could study, uh, and, and others, you know, like Matt, who's a, a great drummer, could now be uh, great in the marketing field. But would it really serve him to do that or would it serve him right. better to hire someone like you? And obviously... Uh, being able to bring on other team members, one, I think is a great skill to have as a business owner, you know, make those executive decisions that, Hey, I'm not an expert at this. Let me just hire an outsource to someone who I trust who can do that. Um, and you know, your point as well in that if you did study the drums as much as you probably put into marketing, you could probably be a really badass drummer and super technical, um, for you. I know there's a, there's a question in the Facebook group of, uh, a guy, Harry Cossie, from London, uh, who asked, uh, with working for URM plus running punk rock MBA and other various bits of work you do, um, how do you balance your time ensuring that you get everything done adequately without burning out? And to add to that, I wanted to add, you know, you even have stuff outside of work that you do in the day. Like you talked about rolling jujitsu. Um, are there other things that you also try to work into the balance, uh, relationships, family, you know, other things aside from just work in your day to day. Yeah, no, actually work is my third priority. Number one is relationships. So my girlfriend who hopefully will be my wife one of these days in the near future and family, like those will always come first before anything else. Like it is never going to be a situation where I'm going to tell her like, you know, tough shit. I have to work, deal with it. That will never, ever, 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 ever happen because all the career success in the world will mean nothing to me if I'm alone. That's just me personally. These are my priorities. Second is like physical and mental health for the same reason. Like you can have a million dollars in the bank. If your physical and mental health uh, aren't where they need to be, then it's worth nothing. So work is actually the third priority for me. And I think that is 
it's not my job to tell other people what their priorities should be, but I kind of think that should, I, I think that's probably where it should be for most people, but I'll let you decide that for yourself. So yeah, work is my third priority. And with that in mind, I do what I can. And, um, I, I, I try to make the most out of every minute in the day where I am working. And then when I'm not working, I try my very hardest to like turn it off, let it go and be present in what I'm doing, which is hard. And I don't always do a great job of it. I don't know, Matt, you've probably, you've got a lot of shit going on. So you, you could probably talk about being present as well. I think it's hard for a lot of people. I mean, being present is extremely hard and it's something that I'm working on every single day. Um, and the thing that, that has started happening is I've started to become more aware, much more aware when I'm not being present. Whereas before it wasn't, there wasn't really this alarm going off, you know, in my mind or like this, this, this sort of buzzer that was, that was going off. But I, um, I just, I started becoming more aware of like when I wasn't there, which then brings me back into the moment. But it's really fucking hard to do that when you do have a bunch of moving parts and a bunch of things happening and you're trying to juggle multiple things. And it's funny, Finn, I couldn't agree with you more um, about your priorities and my priorities. And I was talking to Justin about this yesterday when we were training, you know, I was saying, um, you know, well, first off, I agree. Relationships are, are the most important thing. And that's usually where I need to spend more time being present as backwards as, as that may seem, because I know, and I want to prioritize relationships, whether it's with friends, with it, whether it's with my girlfriend, whether it's with my family, um, that's, that's the most important thing. But when I'm with those people, I'm still getting calls. I'm still getting texts. I'm still getting emails. I'm still being drawn away from, um, you know, th- these, these, these personal experiences with the personal people in my life, how the fuck am I going to stay in it? And it's just a matter of, to be honest, of like not looking at your phone and making a point to leave the phone in the car or leave it at home, um, not have it around all the time, really manage expectations of your business partners and your, your, the people you work with, as well as manage expectations of the people in your personal life so that there's certain hours of the day and certain times of the day where they know you're working. That is kind of the priority at that time, unless something comes up that's an emergency or really, really important that they need you for, in which case, of course, you put that attention towards them. But at the same time, you know, I'm going out to dinner tonight, uh, as an example, with my girlfriend and her family, and I'm not going to bring my phone into the restaurant right? I'm not, I'm not even slightly, I don't even want it on me. I don't even want to think about that because I want to be present because it's very important for me to build that relationship there and those relationships, you know, going forward. Um, when I work out with Justin, unless I'm changing the music on my phone, I'm trying my hardest and Justin, we're can, working at it. We're, we're working, working on it. For sure. It's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, extreme it is work a work in, in progress. progress. I'm trying my hardest not to open my email, not to look at the text messages that I'm getting. I'm trying to really stay present with that. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I'm rambling on about it, but it's just, it's such an important thing to me right now. And it's so present in my mind. And just to move on from this to the second topic, which is, I said this to Justin yesterday, again, like, you know, Money means absolutely nothing if you're not happy. It means nothing. And like, I, I, I don't, you know, I I don't have a million dollars in the bank, but at the same time, I'm comfortable enough where 
I can afford a lifestyle that allows me to focus on these other things as priorities instead of work needing to be the main priority because I can't live without it. And it's just amazing to see how when we're younger, we, we dream about like, oh, you know, I, I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had this much in the bank or I wish I could buy this house or this car because it's going to make me happy. And the truth is none of that matters. And I said to Justin, I was like, you know, if I did have endless amounts of money, there's not much in my life that I would change. Maybe I would buy a house that I, that I would design a way that I want and a piece of land that I want. Like that's it. But like personally, but would that, would that really change the way you feel? No, no, absolutely not. You would just have more stuff to worry about. Absolutely. But but here's the thing. Absolutely not. But when I think about that scenario, I think about how could I optimize this new house that I own so that every room allows me to have this happiness, right? What would I, what would I want? What's important to me? Is it, it's not important to have a big house. It's important to have things, the right house, the right house with the right things in it. And none of the things that needs, right. None of the things that I want are lavish, right? I don't care about the fast cars or the, the, you know, the expensive pieces of cutlery or plates or any of that. I just don't, I don't care about that stuff, right? I want some, I, I want some things there that just allow me to have the most uh, I guess, mentally comfortable space possible so that no matter what room I'm in, I can focus on whatever the priority is. And anyway, uh, we don't need to go down that road. Yeah. Just the, the point is, the point is money and things aren't going to make you happy if you don't spend the time focusing on yourself. And again, carving out time in your day to do things that do make you feel fulfilled. And it could be something as simple as driving around and going to get a coffee, getting a chocolate croissant for breakfast, going for a hike, going for a walk, spending time with your dog. I mean, that's a huge part of my day still that I carve out every day is to spend time with my dog Tyson um, so that I feel good about his well-being and also my own well-being because I get outside with him. I don't sit in the house and stir. I get out. I walk. I move. I breathe the air. I hear birds. I hear, you know, lawnmowers going and cars moving and I get to hear life. And hearing those things every day inspires me to go and do more things. But it it needs to come first, I guess is my point. Anyway. um, Prioritizing. yeah, Yeah. Taking control of what you want your life to be. Yeah. That's like the common theme is like take control. You you have the ability to choose whatever you want. So choose it. You know, and sometimes it's not always super clear what the right choice is. Fine. But like make a choice. Don't just like be intentional about it. Don't just like drift. Uh, I wanted to mention one thing on the topic of productivity that because I know this is something a lot of people uh, struggle with is um, I think that uh, and and this relates to fitness too. Like the, the thing that made me realize this is you see there's so many people in the gym that spend, they're there for an hour and a half, but they spend half the time there like texting people. And I'm like, what you, like, why bother? Like, why don't you just come here for 45 minutes, get a good workout and then leave and you can text people all you want. Like, I just think it's so funny that so many people like, because they don't focus on the task at hand, like, that to me is like the key to productivity is like when you're doing the thing, do the thing, be present in that, whether it's like, you know, working on something or being with your girlfriend or your dog or whatever, like be intentional about the thing you're doing, focus on it, be present and like 
just maximize the amount of time you're spending on the thing. And I, and I think if you do that, you'll find a big boost in productivity. Don't multitask. I think multitasking is bullshit. Finn, I see tons and tons of people at uh, like commercial Globo gyms who go there. My mom was a, a great example. She would she would talk and chit chat, and right. I don't think she was playing on her phone as much. But it was like it was social hour for her to go to the gym. You know, everyone she, she knew wants, was there. Fine, but if for you sure, want to get and, a and, workout. That's and that's the point I wanted to make that that some people might need that release of going to the gym, maybe because they don't feel comfortable going somewhere else. Maybe they leave work. They don't go to the bar. They go to the gym. Maybe they like that better than even going home for their, their kind of way sure. to, uh, you know, debrief from the rest of the day. So, but, but I agree with you. If you're going to go to the gym, go to the gym and be productive. You could go anywhere unless that's the place that you just feel ultimately super comfortable. Then at that point, then yeah, go to the gym. If you feel great at the gym, even if you're not working out, it just might be, you know, the, the reason why a lot of gyms are now clubs, you know, because you might just go there to have right. a coffee and hang out and and enjoy your time there. Um, or like how Planet Fitness has the uh, pizza day and bagel day. <laughs> bagel day, yeah. You know, get your uh, tootsie roll on the way in, on the way out. You know, all the the finer yeah. things of the gym. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, it, it's working, right? From a marketing standpoint, it's working. Keeps keeps them coming back. It does. But, yeah, well, but that's think, actually a great. That, that's actually a good example of like not being intentional and like. The phone is a huge extra, a huge distraction, and that piece of pizza is a big distraction too. Like, you just went to the gym for an hour. Like, are you gonna like stay on task with your goal, or are you gonna let that piece of pizza distract you from your goal? If your goal is to lose weight or whatever, just what it is for most people. Like, just like to me, the answer to all these things is like keep the goal in mind, and like you know, goals are made at the margin. So it's like at every at any given moment of the day. I can do X or Y, which one of these things is going to get me closer to my goal? Well, is eating that piece of pizza going to get you closer to your goal? It depends. If your goal is to like have a relaxing Saturday, maybe it is. And so I don't want to, by any means, like, um, I, I actually don't think it's healthy to be like a 100% life optimizer, you know, right. like these people that, you know, the people that, uh, bring their own like Tupperware thing of broccoli when they go out to eat with their friends and stuff like I don't know. I mean, everyone's different if that makes you happy, but I don't know, like let yourself eat a pizza pizza sometimes because sometimes the goal is just to have a relaxing, chill time with your friends. Sure. I think again, like to your point, it's all about the intention. And, you know, I think that if if you want to stick to a goal, part of that sticking to the goal is being able to go off track. And it really just depends on the duration. You know, if you go off track for a whole day, a week, a month, a year. Yeah. Totally. That's, that's highly going to detract you from the goal that you've now set for yourself. And you're going to, you're going to feel so much more emotion invested, you know, of, of obviously the, the adverse effect of what you were trying to achieve, uh, yeah, you know, if, initially, if you and play, that's not going to help you. If you want to be a drummer, you don't have to spend every moment of the day practicing your rudiments. Sometimes it's okay just to sit and sit in the basement and bang your drums and have fun, you know, or just think about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's do. just as productive oftentimes when it comes to, to being a musician is just thinking about what you're trying to accomplish and, and, you know, and, but not always being fully immersed in the actual thing. And that's the same thing with, look, I've been there as a, as a dieter, you know, of the person trying to achieve, you know, certain goals and maybe going at it the wrong way numerous times until you really figure out what works for you. And that's highly subjective. Um, and yeah, I've, I've prepped food and brought it with me places and, 
yeah, it's, it's not the most exciting. Sometimes you need to do that for a sure. certain goal, you know, maybe a more extreme goal. But if the idea is just to live a really happy, healthy life, you know, and fitness is part of that happy, healthy journey, as well as nutrition, uh, another part to that balance is going out and having a, a me meal, you know, or enjoying pizza and beer with your friends and doing it then versus sitting at home by yourself. It's a great you know, point because it's like the only option, maybe you've got a pizza in the freezer or something. You're just like, well, I guess it's time for that. And that might turn into as like, for me, it was generally a downward spiral. I probably use that because I like nine inch nails a lot of, um, you know, it would go from that to then, Oh, now let me have some dessert, you know, until what would seem pretty full blown. And, and, you know, I, I think that's something for, for people that are maybe struggling with certain goals, you know, when you're going to indulge and maybe go off track, do it with, do it when the time permits, you know, go off with your friends and really enjoy that time detracting from your goal. And then when you're, when you're on the grind, like you said, you know, focus on the task at hand. Yeah. Again, being intentional. And I guess to me, like the meta point of almost everything we've talked about today is like, just about like constantly monitoring the results of the choices that you make. Like, are they working or are they not working? And that's not always obvious. Sometimes, sometimes you're going to go, fuck, I don't know if it's working and that's fine. But like, that is like the, the, the most important practice of all to me is just constantly monitoring the choices you're making and the results of those choices. Yep. And everything yeah. you do. I mean, yeah, I think, I think you definitely nailed it. That's, uh, you know, you can set a goal and if you have no way to, to really like quantify it and you're not getting anything from it, then that's not really helping you to figure out whether you're actually heading towards the, uh, the destination. And don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to, uh, admit to yourself that you were wrong. You know, I mean, I majored in something for two years that I ended yeah, two, two and a half years that I ended up walking away from. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a tough choice to make, but I'm glad I did. And, you know, it's, it's fine. Like everybody's wrong sometimes. And so never let your pride get in the way of adjusting course if it's needed. That's a great point. Finn, real quick, but I want to get into these uh, last few questions from our group, but you know, you mentioned something when you were talking about being a really good drummer that you don't always have to practice your rudiments. Sometimes you just need to go in the basement and bang your drums. And, um, I'm wondering in what context you meant that, did you mean that in like the gent fan context or did you mean like hit drums with sticks? Well, if anybody, if anybody out there is a, uh, gent fan, uh, a progressive metal fan, I just have one piece of advice to you, which is never talk about your penis in the presence of one of the bands that you like. I mean, I wouldn't really talk about it in the presence of anybody at all, but in particular, it's it's a it's a thing with uh, these progressive metal fans that they sexualize everything, and it's so weird to me. You know, go look at the comments on Misha's Instagram, and you'll see, I don't know what thirty percent of them are about somebody talking about like sexualizing a guitar, and I don't know. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not the psychotherapist here, so. I won't speculate about what's going on there, but I think it's weird, and I think you should stop. <laughs> yeah, and we lost the psychotherapist. This is where we needed him most. Well, exactly. I, I just where, where was he when we needed? Is him? this like a, a yeah. Freudian idea? I don't know. Well, I this don't know. this it's is a, it's a dark alley that I don't want to explore too much, but I just it just needs to stop. It needs to stop, and this is something that Finn and I uh, amuse ourselves with every now and then. We'll um, we'll see certain comments, and um, maybe this is too much information for us to share, Finn. But um, we you know we end up sharing these comments with each other and uh 
And it's always good for a chuckle. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the guy who's like, oh, my God, I'm going to jizz all over Matt's creative live class. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. what did you th- here's And, you know, I've I've embarrassed myself when I was younger by being a fanboy or somehow like just saying something stupid around somebody that, you know, I mean, I get it. Like the point is like, you think that this person you're talking to is cool and you want them to like you or get their attention or whatever. And I embarrassed myself when I was younger by saying all kinds of dumb shit. And, um, I mean, I'm partly just making fun of these people for being awkward, but, but I was that awkward person too. And maybe I still am. And, um, man, just choose your words carefully because like they matter. And, uh, I just, just think about how, think about how you come across to people. Cause I know I sure didn't when I was younger and it just makes me want to kick myself in the fucking balls for <laughs> just representing myself in such a stupid way for so long because I just never thought like, Oh, well, if I wear this or act like this or blurt this out in class, what are people going to think? Like, man, I don't know how many opportunities I cost myself or like, how much pain I put myself through, like by just acting like a fucking fool because I didn't take a minute to think about what other people might think. And I know it's cool. So I don't care what anybody thinks, but we all care what other people think. Not all the time, but like, and if you don't care, you should, because <laughs> guess what? Humans are what make this world go around. So you better care what they think. A little bit of reputation management is good for sure. For sure. <laughs> yes. Which doesn't mean, Hey, making jokes is good, but like, what in the world would make you think that the right move is to go up to some stranger and talk about your dick? Yep, exactly. <laughs> like, fuck, I was reading, um, God, I remember who it was, um, was talking about how they met Tommy Lee at some, they'd met him once, like just really briefly. And they're like, Oh man, he's so cool and fun. And then he showed up to like the bar that this guy worked at and he made some dick joke to Tommy Lee and Tommy just instantly just like, like the smile just like disappeared off his face and he was just like, yeah, bro, I don't know what you're talking about, man. And just like ignored him forever, <laughs> you know, cause this guy got a little too comfortable, a little too quick. Yeah. You and gotta, I was like, you gotta be careful, Fuck, man. I've done that so many times. God, it's embarrassing. You gotta be careful, but okay, let's, let's get away from this. I think we made our point for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have a few questions. Um, from Kirsten St. John. So Finn, what are the pros and cons in your opinion of Facebook ads in general, or what are the key components of a good Facebook ad? Now I'll let you answer this, but maybe this is a good point for you to just direct people to your, um, your blog post on the punk rock MBA about the, the basically the one-on-one of Facebook marketing. Yes. Um, and there are lots of other places. So if you, if you Google, uh, the punk rock MBA, um, Facebook ads, you'll, you'll find it or go to the punk and look for it there. Or you can go to like digital marketer.com or there's lots of other places where you can learn how to use Facebook ads. But again, I would just go back to like the larger point of what is your goal? Like start with the goal and then map the tactics against that. Um, but just specifically to talk about Facebook ads, like the, the, in general, the way to think about them is like, um, do you get more out of them than you were spending? And, and, and it, it, that might seem really obvious, but like, that's the game and it's, it's hard, but you know, you want it to be like, I spend a dollar on Facebook ads and then I make a dollar 25 in sales or I make $5 in sales. Um, and that's the way to think about it. How you get there 
is, you know, could be, could be complicated and I won't try to unpack that here, but like, that's kind of the way to think about it is like, how do I get a positive ROI? And, and, and yeah, I won't get into like how to do that here. Cause that's a whole, you know, that's a 10 hour conversation. Um, no, I think, I think, I think you're really hitting it, you know, just really understand what your goals are, what kind of return on investment will you get yeah. for what you're doing? Yeah. And it's great because I, I have a few, uh, you know, things in mind that I've been working on and actually hearing someone say it or reiterate it, you know, stuff that you've heard before, but, but simple concepts, you know, I think this is really great because I'm already saying, okay, so, you know, I've already got the goal identified. Boom. From there, I can now kind of work backwards, you know, and, and anyone can do this. They can figure out what's your goal and then work backwards of where to start and figure yep. out, you know, is it plausible? Is it worth it? Then yeah, you go for it. And a lot of it, obviously, I think it's just uh, probably trial and error. So if people, totally. you know, they can see as much as they want, you can read all you want about, you know, Facebook ads or, or where should you put your marketing money, but then you really just got to try it. Yep. And, and yeah. nothing is going to be a magic bullet, you know, just the same as handing out flyers for a band's show isn't going to like guarantee that it's going to sell out. Buying Facebook right. ads isn't going to guarantee that either. Exactly. All right. So let's go on to the next one. So Darcy Ledoux or Ledoux, we're not sure where she's from. Uh, says as a musician and or a recording mixing engineer who is used to being able to practice a skill, what can you recommend as a quote unquote practice for the business side of the industry? Networking. That's what I would recommend. Matt, you could probably um, talk about how valuable this has been for you. It's you're the, you're the networking master among us. I think Matt jumped off because he had an emergency phone call. Oh, um, Okay. Pretend you're mad. You can speak to his point. If you, if you know kind of his deal, you know, if not speak it, speak to your point. Yeah. Well, you know, the best, I, I think the, the best thing that Matt ever told me, which, which, uh, I've, uh, which has stuck with me is like, be a good middleman or middle woman. Um, so what that means is like a great way to, um, a, a great way to reinforce and build your network is just by connecting people that, you know, um, for example, you know, if, if, you hear one of your friends say, oh, man, I'm trying to do such and such, but, you know, I, I don't know how to go about it. Then you go, oh, well, I got a friend who does that for a living. Let me see if he could help you out. And you connect the two of them. And you didn't do anything other than just connect them. But people will remember that because at the end of the day, you solved, you helped them achieve their goal. And even if that was just by connecting them with someone else, um, that will still, you know, you, you've still helped them out a lot. And um, Matt's great about that. Uh, I know a lot of other people who are really great about that, too. So, That'd be kind of one uh, ninja networking move, I would say, is be a good middleman or woman. And then the other thing uh, I would say, a good skill. So here's a skill you can practice is talking to people. So a lot of um, creatives, uh, myself included, are introverts that don't necessarily love talking to strangers, especially if you're like a producer because the, the producer's job is to sit in a windowless room for 14 hours a day listening to the same thing on repeat. So you know, by, by nature, that makes you not necessarily the most outgoing person, but force yourself to talk to people as much as you can, even if it's just talking about the weather or the local sports team or whatever it is. If you're at a restaurant, if you're in an elevator, literally any time you can, like force yourself to come out of your shell and talk to people. And I absolutely guarantee you that that will pay you huge dividends in your career. Yeah, I, I actually think, um, you know, two things about what you're just saying. I, I love the concept of building bridges. You know, I think that's that's one of to to me. It's something you, you could have done over the years for sure without social platforms. But I think 
even just emailing has made it that much easier. And then being able to show someone, Hey, look, you were talking about some esoteric uh, concept and my friend talks about that as well. Let me put you guys in, in context. I think that's one of the coolest ways to network with taking yourself out of the equation and just connecting mm-hmm. people. And that's, I mean, that's really what it's all about is, you know, just finding that connection. I also think, uh, just referencing people, uh, you know, in regards to, to networking, um, you know, you have, uh, a guide on the punk rock MBA of how to network without being a douchebag. Oh yes, that's right. I do. I forgot. Thank you. And, <laughs> yeah. So, so people, you know, the punk rock and, uh, I think if you just search, you know, if you just search Finn or the punk rock MBA and how to network without being a douche, uh, you will You'll find, find great value in that. I think that's awesome. So I think that definitely, uh, should help some people out as well as answering Darcy's great question there. So, the next one is, uh, forgive me if I pronounce this incorrectly, but Miko Mitaka from Helsinki, Finland, was asking, I would love so to hear all any the, All the Finnish people are named Miko. What is that all about? Is that, is that, is that the truth? Yeah, yeah I guess. This is, Miko has two Ks, though. I'm used to yes, one. Yes, yeah, it's with two Ks. But anyway, what's this, what's Interesting. this question? Okay. I would love to hear any tips on how to build a career in creative writing slash blogging. What kind of contacts and experience are vital and any rules of thumb? Uh, that is a very tough one. It, you, so my point number one is recognize you can recognize that you are choosing a, a path with extreme difficulty. So if you play video games, you are choosing to play like on dark souls, expert level difficulty here. So buckle up. Um, creative writing does not pay very much at all. Like you might get paid hundred bucks or 200 bucks or 300 bucks to write for a big outlet like vice or something like that. Um, and that might sound okay. But when you think about like, if you did a hundred, if you did 300 articles, so basically one every working day of the year for a hundred bucks each, that's only 30 grand, which is not a lot of money. Uh, especially after taxes. And if you live in any kind of a city and you're an adult and don't want to live with four roommates. So do the math a little bit. And I, think you will probably not like the results, but you probably aren't going to listen to me. So with that said, um, think about a way to directly. So what you should, rather than getting other people to pay you to write, what you should do is find a way to build an audience through your writing and then directly monetize that audience by selling them something. Um, like a course or a book or, you know, uh, affiliate deals with, you know, sponsors or something like that. So like if you uh, have a cooking blog, then maybe you have an affiliate marketing relationship with some retailer that sells cooking utensils or whatever. And so you get 20% or 10% of anything you sell from your site. That's the way you're going to do it. Um, and it's, it's going to be hard because, um, because writing is not really the um, form of communication in which that, that's not where the action is these days. The, the action now is on video and audio. So like YouTube and podcasts, um, there are people who do great with writing, but I think most of them built their audience like five or 10 or 15 years ago when writing was a much more like blogging was a much more um, relevant form of creative output than it is today. There's not a lot of people that started a blog in the last like three, four or five years that now have a huge audience that, you know, they built from scratch. 
So that is my advice. Go into it with your eyes open. This is going to be really hard. I think you should build an audience, build an email list, uh, and then find a way to directly monetize that audience and especially that email list. Um, and be prepared for it to be extremely difficult. Yeah, I I love the concept of uh, you know the kind of coming in the back door when it comes to running your business. You know, I, I think it is important for people to realize that you know maybe just writing in and of itself is a really difficult business to to get into if you think you're going to make good money. But it seems like if that is something that you're really interested in and you're currently doing something else, stick to what you're currently doing that actually pays the bills. But on you know as a side hustle start your creative writing and blogging, you know, um, and, and eventually, you know, if you build up, like you were saying, enough of a following, you have a good email list and you can figure out a way to directly monetize, uh, your following, whether that's a thousand people, you know, and then you might just have to run the math of it of like, well, how can I get all, you know, how can I get my 1000 people to support something that I'm putting out there of, of $10 exactly. or a yep. hundred dollars, you know what I mean? And it really just comes down to breaking down the analytics of, you know, what is, who is my audience and, and how many of this audience do I have and how many of them will actually support me if I ask for some kind of, uh, monetary, uh, compensation, right. For what I'm doing. And it, it's, it's interesting because I think of the analogy of <clears throat> when Jordan and I were in the last band that we were in, we were trying to figure out, we were trying to navigate the, the uncharted waters, if you want to call it that, of when the industry was really changing, you know, the industry went from, from the time where, everybody wanted to be on a label and be supported by a label and, you know, to the labels, uh, a lot of people then doing the DIY kind of projects and then, and then, uh, labels becoming, you know, having less and less power. And one of the ideas we would, we would think about is this backdoor approach of becoming a band that got licensed, you know, and, and have people discover one song and then realize, Oh, there's a whole album that goes yeah. with that. And you can monetize, you know, the whole band as a package versus just, you know, licensing out that one song if you found the right people who are interested. So yeah, you know, I think you can stick to currently what your bread and butter is. And, and if, if you're going to enter in something that, that maybe doesn't make tons of money or takes time, you know, take the time, curate it and, and grow it and, and figure out a way to, to kind of come in the back door. To well, I think, I think you have a great point also about kind of modeling, doing, doing a rough model uh, in a spreadsheet of like, how you would actually monetize this? That's super smart because that'll kind of tell you that'll tell you a lot about where you need to go. So if you if you make this model and realize you need to get a hundred thousand people on your email list in order to you know generate the kind of revenue you want, then you can either decide, holy shit, a hundred thousand people! I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to do that, or you go, okay, yeah, I can get a hundred thousand people. Like, let's do this. So like for example, I'm I'm planning on creating um, like a video course in the next few months or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I would like to make, uh, I'd like to make 10 grand in the first year from it. Sure. And uh, this is, this is, this is not me speaking hypothetically. This is like actually what I want to do. And so I thought, so, well, I said, I want to sell some kind of info product. Uh, I thought, well, I could sell an ebook for like five bucks or something. And I'm like, man, I've sold a lot of those fucking. I'd have to sell two thousand of those at five bucks each to make ten grand, and that's tough. Um, and so then I said, okay, well maybe maybe I should make a, a video course and sell it for a hundred bucks because then I would only need to sell a hundred, or yeah, I'd only need to sell a hundred of those to make ten grand. And then I thought, could I sell a hundred of those over the course of a year? Yeah, I can do that. 
Um, so that that would be a, a, a quick example of like how I would recommend doing this thinking, and that would be true of your band or whatever as well. You know, okay, if I license my songs for this much to this many people, can I do that in a year? And you kind of go yes or maybe or fuck no. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's a really good analytical approach to it. You know, and and actually just setting parameters for yourself and saying, you know, these, this is part of the goal. Um, I guess then you also have to just factor into how much time does it take? You know, obviously you're giving yourself a duration of one year to sell X amount of, of something at a specific price point, you know, but, but it might be, you know, you could, you could also then try to look at the time variable and weigh if it's I the go, juice worth the squeeze. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you can go one direction. It might take you very limited amount of time to, to put together versus a whole video uh, course might take you much longer, but you know, that might be, uh, it seems like that would be, it's easier to probably sell a hundred of something, you know, versus a couple thousand of something, whatever it is. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and lastly, we have one more question from Austin Jones out of Tennessee. It says, Hey Finn, my question is how important are social media advertisements versus advertisements on YouTube, Spotify, and other streaming services? Uh, I have never done anything with Spotify, so I can't really comment on that. Um, I, I, uh, I, I guess to me, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but this all comes back to what your goal is. Um, like, so specifically I would say that like, I've done a lot of YouTube ads. Um, if you want to just sell product, then Facebook is generally speaking a better way of doing that. Uh, if you want to drive awareness for a thing, YouTube is a very good way of doing that. Um, like if any of you listening have, uh, you've probably seen ads for either get good drums or horizon devices. Uh, I run the YouTube ads for both of those. Uh, and our goal with those is, uh, primarily just to make people aware that this thing exists and maybe tell the story a little bit. Um, if they click through, that's great. But our, our goal is really just to break even on the YouTube ads. And then Facebook is where we drive the majority of the, the revenue. So, uh, yeah, that's a whole other big discussion, but, um, just think about what your goal is. Like for us, we go, if YouTube can be an awareness driver, if I can show, if I can show a hundred thousand people in a month, this video about my product and generate enough sales to break even great. Then I made a hundred thousand people aware of this product for free. That's how I think of YouTube. There you go. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, I'm thinking about Horizon devices. Uh, I'm thinking of their ads currently. How many and, times have uh, you seen those ads? Oh my God, it, it's great. I get, <laughs> I get, I get prompted to, you know, through whatever algorithms or whatever it is that actually figures out, you know, what you're into or my, or like your phone cryptically listening to you, you know, and what you're into, and then and then pushing, you know, ads towards you. I've seen. Uh, Oh my! I've seen Horizon devices. I think there's there's three ads I can think of, like the uh-huh. three commercials. I've seen them so many times, and I'm still drawn to it. It still makes me go like, I don't know. Like I wonder what this would sound like on bass. You know, I think there's that only be- one way to find out. I know, right? Well, actually, I, I was going to say this a lot earlier. Um, we were talking about I, I, maybe it was in Nailed a Mix that I actually I came across Nolly, the who was the bass player in Matt's band Periphery. For those of you who don't know. Um, he he did a I think I think that was on the other mix where he did a, a whole uh, fifteen minute spot on on just making a bass tone and and it was just so different from what people are conventionally used to and I thought that was just so perfect for highlighting how he got to cut through so much noise in a band in a mix and I thought that was really cool and 
And that really just, you know, plays to the, the power of what you guys are doing over there to put out such great content that is so relevant for, uh, you know, hopefully the target audience of what you're looking for. For sure. Well, let me, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some specifics on, um, on YouTube. This is how I approach it for, uh, for a bunch of these businesses. Um, there are two ways that I target these and I'm just going to throw this out there just cause I think people will find this useful and helpful. Yeah, um, please. It's great value. The, the first way is what we call cold traffic, which is people who uh, are seeing our message for hopefully the first time. And so the way that I'll do that, there's a few different ways you can do it, but for these music products, like a lot of these products target like progressive metal musicians. So we, well, you can, you can tell YouTube um, to run your video on anything on a given channel. So I'll run it on like Keith Merrow, Ola England, Rob Chapman, Fluff, like all these kind of like big um, YouTubers in the like, you know, progressive metal, like guitar kind of space. Mm-hmm. Um, so just any, because I assume that anybody, this is a pretty niche thing. So I assume that anybody watching one of Rob Chapman's videos might be interested in this, in, in horizon devices, for example. And then, so that's to get new people in. And then the second way we target them is uh, you, it's what's called retargeting, which is you can tell YouTube, show my ad to anybody who has previously viewed one of our videos. So that's what they call warm traffic. So like if you ever buy your girlfriend a present, you know, like a Nordstrom, you get her a necklace or something like that. And then for the next month, you see ads for necklaces. That's an example of retargeting. So if you've shown interest in Horizon devices by watching one of our ads, then show them this other ad. And so in a, in a more, in a, if you get sophisticated about this, you would have different ads that kind of progressively uh, move people down the funnel is what they call it. So the first one is just, we're going to tell you broadly what this thing is. And then the next one might be, okay, you know what this thing is. Let me go specifically through all the features of this thing. And then the, the third one might be like, okay, time is running out. Here's a special sale. That's only good for 48 hours or something like that. So, um, that is how and you can do this on YouTube or Facebook or pretty much any, any platform, but that would be maybe one thing to think about is like just the idea of cold traffic versus warm traffic, people who have, who know about you versus people who don't know about you. There you go. Yeah. I think you're, you're, uh, putting together a great package for people who are maybe very unaware of the marketing side of the game when it comes to, uh, you know, social media platforms or, or the, the really important websites to be putting, uh, you know, a good part of, um, of your revenue into, you know, and I think this is great for, this is great for me personally. I know my, my brother, I know Jordan, uh, loved this and was geeking out about it and, and Matt as well. And, and everybody else who, um, you know, would be interested um, and I think we, we can all take something from this because obviously at the end of the day, uh, whatever anyone is really doing, it's, it's a part of some kind of business, you know, a bigger picture and, and marketing is just such an in- integral part of it that I think most of us, we just don't know enough about. And so having people like you, uh, in general, having people like you on the podcast and, and all of the different sites that, that, that you, uh, you know, curate and you write for and, and the articles you put out, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really invaluable and, we really, we just can't thank you enough for, for taking the time today to be on here. You know, we're, we're pushing two and a half hours, you know, and, um, really, uh, it, it's great. My wheels are 
turning like crazy. You know, I think of the, the one marketing class I took so many years ago. And, and I remember I, I learned like one concept that I still use to this day, but you know, very little takeaway. And, um, this was just, you know, really eye opening and, and really a treat, which is awesome. Um, <clears throat> before we actually wrap, because they started with four, we were down to three and now there's just the two of us. And, uh, and I'm pumped to still have you on the line. Um, I would love you to just be able to direct people to all of these different places where you, to me are like an unsung hero, uh, just putting out great information. Can you just tip everybody off on, on where they can check out uh, a bunch of your great work? Well, my name is Finn McKenty, F-I-N-N-M-C-K-E-N-T-Y. So you can find me on Instagram at Finn McKenty. Uh, if you want to check out uh, URM or Nail the Mix, that is uh, URM, Unstoppable Recording Machine, URMacademy.com or NailTheMix.com. Uh, yeah, so on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff too. Um, yeah, I guess those would kind of be the, the best places to go. What I would suggest. And, and of course the punk rock MBA.com. Uh, if you sign up for my email list there, um, then you'll, uh, get all my, uh, yeah, you'll get, you'll get news about anything I'm doing. So yeah, if you want to hear from more and if you feel free to add me on Facebook or send me your questions on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and I'll do my best to help you out. Awesome. Finn, we, we really appreciate it. And, uh, and again, to all those who are listening, who have stayed with us for the, <clears throat> the last better part of almost two and a half hours, we, uh, we can't express our gratitude enough towards, uh, you all in the group. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, please join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants. Uh, we will see you there all week and, uh, you know, we'll be back Monday, the following Monday, you know, stay tuned, pay attention to what's going on in the group. We will throw some prompt questions out there for the next guest. You'll find out who that is probably midweek next week. Uh, and you'll be able to ask some questions for who will be, uh, the guest to follow Finn, uh, which is going to be a pretty tough one to follow. Uh, as always, all of, all of Finn's information, we'll post everything up within the group. So everybody can, can follow what Finn is currently doing. And, and, you know, we definitely would all, uh, encourage you to go check out what Finn is doing and, and read a couple of pieces. I think it's, it's highly inspiring and no matter what you're doing, what path you're on, I think it'll all be just very valuable, helpful information, no matter what you're currently doing. Um, again, Finn, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening and staying with us for the last, you know, 24, 25 weeks. We really appreciate it. And, uh, until next time, bye-bye. So, yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Finn.